Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of September 15, 2022, including 343 founder Bonnie Ross has left the Halo development studio, Ubisoft slash Disney slash Nintendo slash Sony all coincidentally held various gaming presentations this week, leaving us with tons of new game announcements to discuss and more. Tron lives, bitches. And on this day in gaming history, Xbox gaming history that is, in the year 2015, Destiny, The Taking King, download release, of course, I think there was some physical version of the game. Anyway, Destiny, The Taking King, the big expansion that really kicked off Destiny and made it, kind of solidified it as a game that would continue on and have a dedicated fan base, released for the Xbox One worldwide. It makes me want to claw my eyeballs out to think that it was seven years ago that Destiny, The Taking King came out. I feel like I... uh like no time has passed at all yet at the same time we are all in like i don't know think about like this in 2015 when destiny taken king came out seven years from that date was 2008 so uh fallout 3 so fallout 3 was as old as destiny uh, destiny taken king is today back in 2015 when taken king came out shut up jesse okay sorry i'm 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 gripping with my Still young, but growing age, increasing age. Guys, welcome to Xbox On, a podcast all about Xbox, where we forget about the inevitability of death for a moment, and we just talk about video games. You know, the hobby where you play as artificial people and kill tons and tons of people and remove life from millions of AI uh, and uh, whatever. Fuck off. Hey, we got lots of news to talk about this week. Actually, this is a really exciting week, or the exciting part has already been, I guess, but now we get to talk about it, which is also exciting. Just a crazy week of announcements. Like we've been going through kind of a lull this 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 summer leading into the fall and everything with it just being a slower year in general. Like we're getting news, but it's been a lot of like news we don't want to necessarily talk about. It's like, oh, you know, these people who are in like enslavers are buying a video game studios and like people who make sure the world is forever broken and corrupt invested in this this ip you love and like all these corporations that have enough money to end poverty and child hunger and all this shit are uh, are buying crest toothpaste and doritos it's like oh cool let's let's talk about that so but now we actually have a week where there's tons of news tons of pertinent news and it's about, like, video games. It's like, oh, yes, uh, th- this video game got announced, and you can play it on your Xbox, and you don't have to think about the problems of the world while you do so because it's just a fucking video game meant to be fun. And so I'm excited to talk to you guys about that this week. It's it's really weird because I think, I mean, we're going to get into it all in the news, but the events, like, going into it, obviously the Ubisoft one was a, was a pretty relevant thing. Ubisoft, pretty much everything they make, with the exception of that Raymond Rabbids Mario game, is always on Xbox, you know, they're a very Xbox-centric third-party developer and publisher, and um, so it was like, obviously, that event is going to be a big deal this week, and I was preparing for that. I was not expecting 
for, <laughs> first of all, Sony and Nintendo, we didn't know they were going to have live stream events this week until they last minute kind of dropped those. And both of those ended up having Xbox relevant news in them. Um, not so surprising the PlayStation one, but the Nintendo one. Yeah, surprisingly, a lot of Xbox related news there. And then the D23 Expo, they did the Marvel Disney video game panel, which I, I really didn't think we'd have anything from that. We didn't get too much from it, but I mean, there were video games to talk about. Definitely Xbox related content. And then Xbox did a little indie showcase, which ironically ended up being the least important thing for us to talk about here, despite it being Xbox showcasing games that are no doubt coming to Xbox. I don't know. It was a very weird week. Tons and tons of announcements, tons and tons of news. And um, man, it was, it was, it was fun to go through the motions of just like more and more announcements, more and more reveals. And uh, now we get to get together, sit around the table, hold hands, say grace, and then dig into this feast of news. So without further ado, guys, let's just get into the main segments of the show, starting out with our updates, corrections, and stories of mild amusement. This week, we're going to focus on those mildly amusing stories. First one, which, you know, at the time you're hearing this podcast, this news might have already changed. It's pretty, uh, it's, it's pretty actively in development right now, but um, ads for the PlayStation 5 console-exclusive game Deathloop, developed by now Xbox-owned team Arcane, which is owned by Bethesda, which is now owned by Xbox. Uh, ads for the game, the once PlayStation 5 exclusive game, have started appearing on Xbox. The Arcane-developed action game was originally released solely on PS5 and PC on September 14, 2021, which the day I'm recording this podcast is the one-year anniversary. Now that the, exclusive, now that the exclusivity period has elapsed, an ad for the game has begun appearing on Xbox dashboards. However, selecting the ad does not currently lead to the Xbox store page as it appears that it has gone live too early. This was clearly a mistake. Although this stuff happens all the time. This is how we get lots of leaks and news. No release date has been given or provided at the time of this story. So it's unclear if this will be in game pass or when it will be. Obviously it's going to be a game pass game. We fucking know that, but uh, it, it's a really more matter of when Deathloop released during the unprecedented situation wherein the game was a PS5 console exclusive due to an agreement, contractual agreement between Sony and Bethesda, publisher Bethesda, uh, despite the fact that Arkane's parent company, id Software, and Bethesda were in the process of being acquired by Microsoft. So obviously I mentioned all that, but I'm just reading you the story from VGC. Now, while Microsoft has honored the original exclusivity deal, which was made before the negotiations began with Xbox and Bethesda, the company has made it clear that they intend to release the acclaimed shooter on their platform as soon as they could. So that should be now. It's a one-year exclusivity deal. Honestly, I really expected today would be the day. Uh, maybe they're going to wait for like a year and a day. So maybe on Thursday, the day this episode goes live you'll be seeing that news um, finally revealed i mean there's no reason to not just have the game put onto game pass immediately you know just launch into game pass the second you can especially now while we're still nearing the this the end of this lull of just not a whole lot is happening not a whole lot's coming out this could be a nice little boost for game pass a little something to kick you know some value to kick the service into high gear and get people's attention uh, while we're all waiting for i don't know what are we waiting for now it's like Modern Warfare and Callisto Protocol and Arkham Knights. I guess that's really it, right? But um, yeah, I mean, this is no doubt going to happen. And then in next spring, we'll see the same thing happen with the other game that was a part of this deal. The Tango Gameworks developed Ghostwire Tokyo, uh, which came out, uh, I think, in March this year. So we should be getting that on Xbox as well, per the same contractual agreement uh, next spring. But 
I mean, that, that game is going to be up against a lot because next spring we got tons and tons of shit coming. But that's a different conversation for a different story. So be on the lookout. By, like I said, by the time you're hearing this, you, you might already be playing it. But, uh, yeah, Deathloop, I'm excited to give it a try just because the marketing never really appealed to me. But people genuinely adore this game. So I, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of good in this game to be discovered. Next up, guys, let's talk about Battlefield a little bit. I feel like Battlefield was a huge story last fall and then fell off a fucking cliff with 2042, but we got some updated information on regarding the series. VGC relays that while we already knew this, the, the news now reveals a name for the studio and more Electronic Arts has officially revealed Ridgeline Games, the new Battlefield studio being led by Halo co-creator Marcus Leto. The Seattle-based studio was established last October and has been staffing up for its first debut project, which will be a narrative campaign in the Battlefield universe. Quote, it's a great honor to have the opportunity to collaborate with DICE and Ripple Effect and the leader in the lead Sorry, and lead the charge on expanding the narrative, storytelling, and character development opportunities of the Battlefield series, said the game director, Ridgeline Studio head, Marcus Leto. In December, EA announced its intentions to create a connected Battlefield universe alongside widespread changes to the franchise's development structure. As part of these plans, DICE's former general manager, Oscar Gabrielson, left EA altogether, while Respawn and Infinity Ward co-founder, Vince Zampella, took on a new role as the overseer of the entire Battlefield franchise. So Battlefield is, you know, it's going to take probably a couple of years for us to really, you know, start to see and feel the fruits, the fruits of this labor, the fruits of this effort, whatever. Uh, but obviously Battlefield is about to change in a big way. And honestly, I, I, I'd wager Battlefield's probably about to go from being at its lowest point in, in the series history to probably its highest point. I don't know, I'm something of a Battlefield outsider. I really only like the Bad Company games and Battlefield 1, and it's just, it's not really my franchise, so maybe I, I have less authority on the matter, but I, I think with with this kind of talent behind the franchise and this new direction focus, I think we're probably in for some seriously good Battlefield, which is much needed. I'm sure fans will be very excited for it once, uh, you know, following the disappointment of Battlefield 5 and Battlefield 2042, so cool update there. Now, next up... Let's talk about Babylon's fall. A little bit of sad news. Uh, or I guess, you know, just unfortunate news. You don't want to see anyone fail. Um, but VGC relays that Square Enix's troubled online brawler, Babylon's Fall, will officially end service on February of 2023 and will be pulled from sale later today. Uh, today, as of the day it was announced. So as the time you're listening to this, it's already been pulled from sale. Uh, in a statement on the game's official website, Square confirmed that the game will shut down and that the large-scale updates that were planned for the game have been canceled. Quote, with the desire of delivering an exhilarating online multiplayer action RPG set in an elaborate high fantasy world, we launched the game's official service on Thursday, the 3rd of March, Europeans, uh, this year, and now continue to undertake additional development and operations, the statement read. However, it is with a deep regret to inform you that we will be terminating the game's service on Tuesday, February 28, 2023. Following the publication's announcement, sales of the of all digital versions of the game as well as physical versions on retail sites will draw to a close, reads the message towards the end of the post. So this game was an utter failure. There's no words there's no way around it. This game came out earlier this year and it just bombed instantly. There was there were stories and posts about how like the game currently has like 50 something player active concurrent players on steam and this was like within opening week of the game like this is this game bombed catastrophically in a way that we we simply do not see games fail anymore just in a world where uh, games are so accessible gaming is so big it is so interconnected marketing and ways of getting the message of your game out are just so much vaster and wider and i'm and obviously this is this is a huge problem for indie games 
but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about games published by massive companies like Square Enix, games that have the financial and marketing backing of a corporation like Square Enix. To see a game catastrophically catastrophically bomb and fail under under this kind of this kind of current institution statement we have for for how games are marketed and released and in and brought to consumers. This is kind of unprecedented. This game absolutely failed. I, I honestly, I can't think of like a mainstream bomb that is even close to this big um, since what year is that? 2014, 2015? I think it was 2015 when Battleborn was released. Battleborn by Gearbox um, it was like that hero shooter kind of game that like got obliterated by um, by like Fortnite and Overwatch and all that shit. Yeah, I mean this is this is like Battleborn basically kind of levels of just wow. What a you know it's sad because obviously even though the game, you know, in my opinion never looked even remotely interesting, you just don't want to see people's hard work and efforts go to go to waste that way and just kind of, you know, that's that's going to be a sour mark for these developers for probably the rest of their lives. That's a huge part of your career <laughs> to put out a game of that scale and then just just watch it completely bomb and go away. So all the best to those involved who uh, have to bear witness to this creative project's failure. But, uh, you know, here's hoping that they'll bounce back. This is, of course, Babylon's Fall, of course, is a game developed by Platinum. And they have just been on a downward trajectory, which is just odd because they have proven time and time again in the past that they are a really capable and decent publisher or get a developer. But they just uh, they have a lot of duds. All right, guys. Next up, let's talk about a PlayStation story that I think is kind of relevant to Xbox. Deviation Games, a PlayStation-backed studio established by a pair of Call of Duty Black Ops veterans, has lost one of its co-founders. In a statement released on Thursday last week, the California-based company confirmed that Chief Creative Officer Jason Blundell is no longer working at the studio. If the name sounds familiar, that's because Jason is a former Treyarch co-studio head, and he was one of the lead creators on Call of Duty's Zombies mode before leaving Activision in 2020, after 13 years at the developer. Now, this is highly notable because, well, obviously, Xbox is in the process of acquiring Activision and his former place of employment, Treyarch, which is the Call of Duty Black Ops developer. Uh, This guy left Activision and Treyarch to go form this new team deviation that signed, I think that was a year ago, where PlayStation made the announcement uh, where they're like, yeah, we're working on a cool, like, first-person shooter game. We have the creativity to take, like all these liberties and do all this creative new shit. We're really excited about what we're working on. And it basically sounded like, because we know PlayStation's tactic right now, that their their strategy is to try and do a bunch of free-to-play games, a bunch of multiplayer-centric games. They want to have a Fortnite, a Call of Duty kind of thing of their own. These are very, very aspirational projects to to try and reach for, you know, to the, the likelihood of them finding a game that does for them what Fortnite does for Epic or, or Call of Duty does for Activision is slim to impossible. But th- that is the... That is the warpath PlayStation is on currently. Is they're buying studios, they're they're backing newly established studios, and they're partnering with second party partners to try their hand at getting all these multiplayer games out there and and try to get their piece of the pie. And it's highly highly unlikely um, <laughs> that they were ever going to reach something like this. But you know, it's it's not a bad start where you're pulling some of the most absolute top tier talent of of the multiplayer gaming. Uh, spectrum by by pulling the guy you know one of the leads the guys behind the uh, Treyarch developed Call of Duty games the Black Ops series which is in my opinion the best the most premier Call of Duty uh, games that are out there and then you know not only that but he's the kind of the father of the zombies mode which you know for players like myself and I know I know a lot of people out there 
Zombies is reason enough to buy a Call of Duty game. I mean, that, that mode is so insanely good that it sells the game itself. You know, like, when people buy a Black Ops game, it, they buy it for zombies, then multiplayer, then campaign. I know for some people it's multiplayer, then zombies, but zombies is just that damn good that it kind of holds an entire sub sub genre of fans all on its own, kind of in the way like Warzone does. So, I mean, that's that's pretty big talent to have. Kind of reminds me of when Xbox formed the Coalition. They started poaching really high ta- high profile talent from all these Sony developers and whatnot, and they got they got Drew Murray of uh, Insomniac to come over and head up the initiative, and then shortly afterwards he left the initiative and went back to uh, to Insomniac and how that's kind of like a whole clusterfuck on on its own so it'll be interesting to see you know if jason blundell does some something similar if maybe he goes back to treyarch or maybe he goes on to do something else i don't know but uh obviously this is bad news for playstation i think it's just relevant news because we're in this kind of heated moment of watching xbox slowly become the parent company of call of duty while also seeing playstation desperately try to be like hey we need to be more than just single player story based third person action games about dads with dead kids and we need to try and try and make a, a multiplayer game that has some legs and it's just man that's uh i don't know i just feel like in a way that's like something you'd maybe want to know i don't know i found it interesting fuck you all right last one before we get into the actual news guys vgc reports microsoft is reportedly facing prolonged investigations into the proposed acquisition of activision blizzard in both the uk and europe last week the uk's competition and markets authority cma said in an inquiry into the sorry said its inquiry into the 68.7 billion dollar merger may be expanded into a second phase due to a number of antitrust concerns notably it said that the that they were worried about the impact the deal could have on playstation's ability to compete given that the deal would see microsoft gain ownership of call of duty as a series according to the financial times the cma is expected to officially expand its antitrust probe this week after microsoft chose not to offer the remedies to its concerns at this stage phase two of the cma's investigation would see it appoint an independent panel to scrutinize the deal further in in detail and evaluate if it's more likely than not to result in substantial lessening of competition. I I find this story increasingly more and more interesting. Again, as I said last week, I still stand this this phase of I'm a little surprised how much pushback they're seeing from some of these regulatory boards. I I expected this to go through a little faster and a little smoother than it's gone so far. Um, I still remain 85% confident that this deal is absolutely going to happen and be a done deal probably by the end of the year and that Activision and all their all of its developers will be under the Xbox umbrella pretty soon here but I I do remain surprised by how much pushback they are getting and how much scrutiny they are under I I just find this really weird I they are absolutely correct to and it's that quote from last week when they said you know it's not even so much today but whenever the next cons- consoles come out it's kind of this like reset on the market where consumers, you know, there's like us hardcore people. There's people like me where it's like, I'm so integrated into Xbox's ecosystem. I'm so dedicated to Xbox that the next Xbox could literally just be like, Hey, we're launching with zero games. uh, But there's an ad for like season seven of Peppa Pig and it's going to be awesome. And you should totally buy our $800 console. That's the Xbox series X two, you know, and then PlayStation could be like, Hey guys, PlayStation six, we got Spider-Man, we got Disney infinity. We got fucking uh, Peppa Pig also. And we got uh, free pizza. Every, every time you turn on your PlayStation, it will give you a free slice of pepperoni pizza. It will be great. And I'd be like, Hmm, 
I'm still buying the. I, I mean, I'll listen. That's, PS6 sounds pretty good. I'll buy that too. But I'm buying Xbox still because I'm I'm just like that ingrained in the Xbox ecosystem. So yes, a lot of people like myself, a lot of people probably listening to this podcast already are kind of so integrated in in a particular brand that they they might not pertain to this, but we are all the outliers. The mass majority of people of consumers have this kind of fresh slate ability to be like, okay, where are we going next? You know, when the new consoles come out and it's usually whichever one is deemed cool by Twitter and in Reddit and the internet at large is the one we go with, right? It's like, oh, PlayStation did the cool thing where they dissed Xbox. Oh no, they didn't. I guess I have to buy a PlayStation now. And then that's kind of how that works. Now they, their, their argument is, you know, if Xbox owns Call of Duty, that could substantially change so many players' behavior and, and attitude towards the two brands that it might just drastically pull a bunch of otherwise PlayStation players over to Xbox. I totally get that, and I think that is an accurate concern and, and thing to be investigating. I think that's probably the most important thing to be investigating because, for the most part, you know, throughout at least the PS5 and Xbox Series generation, we're going to see Call of Duty continue to be on PlayStation and everything's going to be as is. And PlayStation is already at, on steamrolling through these early years of this console generation that I just don't foresee PlayStation 5 not completely clobbering and outselling Xbox Series consoles. Um, I mean, not to the extent that PS4 and Xbox One experience, but definitely I think there will be a sizable um, difference in the number of total lifetime sales of PS5 versus Xbox Series X and S, I think, by the time all of this is said and done. And so... I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I get where they're coming from. But at the same time, I, I am starting to think they are putting a little too much emphasis on this because, listen, I, I get it. If you're a regulatory board and your objective is to make sure that you're trying to keep the playing field a little even and potentially, you know, available for people and companies to come in and compete and in, in, in play a part in this market, you can't just take Xbox's word for it and be like, well, Phil Spencer said he's going to continue to bring Call of Duty to PlayStation. Of course, we, we feel comfortable and have to trust that he, he's a man of his word and we can push through and, and okay this deal. You, you'd be kind of ignorant and, and kind of bad at your job to just take that at face value and just pass the deal. So I understand that it has to go beyond that. But at the same time, it's like, I just, man, I just don't think that there's a chance in hell that Xbox ever catches up to PlayStation, at least in terms of the traditional home home console market, I don't think there's ever a chance Xbox surpasses PlayStation. You know, I, I don't know about Game Pass and, and, and getting subscribers and people playing on their TVs and their phones and other gaming platforms with Game Pass subscriptions. I don't know about that. But as long as we're just simply talking Xbox home consoles versus PlayStation home consoles, which one's going to win? Dude, Xbox could buy every major fucking publisher in the world plus Denny's and they and they'd still get beat out by PlayStation. It's just that thing at this point because the other factor that this doesn't consider is that it's almost an old school way of thinking to be like it's just as simple as whichever one has the best marketing message wins at the start of a console generation because we know it's not entirely true. We know that especially ever since like well, towards the Xbox 360 PS3 years, but especially during the PS4 Xbox 1 years we ran into this thing where it's like, guys, we're buying our games digital now. You know, our entire online accounts, our achievements, our gaming history, our friends list, everything is tied to a specific platform. You know, for someone to jump from two generations of PlayStation to jump over to Xbox, it takes a lot. 
It's a lot of games on your account you're leaving behind. That's a lot of achievements and hours poured into and cloud and save files and free games with gold or PS Plus games and all this stuff that you're just leaving on the table. They, they've intentionally, these companies have intentionally tried to make it harder and harder to leave their ecosystem with these kinds of modern you know, services and, and, and just conveniences, I, I guess, if you want to say it that way. So I don't know. I, I think PlayStation is too dug in and, and too much of the global gaming base is too invested in PlayStation for them to ever really notably lose ground to Xbox. I mean, you, you know, I, I'm here in the U.S. where there's a pretty high co- competition between Xbox and PlayStation. And even though <laughs> this is the home of Xbox where I live, PlayStation definitely has a notable win and lead over Xbox in this country. You can feel it just anecdotally. Like, I mean, nine times out of ten when people ask me about gaming, I'm like, yeah, I, I love gaming. I play a little bit on everything. Xbox is my main place I play. It's like nine times out of ten. It's the eye roll. Of like, oh, you're an Xbox. It's like, ha, 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 ha. What the fuck do you care? You only play Grand Theft Auto anyway, asshole. Anyway, but, like, that's, I just, like, even in this market where Xbox should be the best that they are, and this is their best market, they still lose. <laughs> and then you look at markets where it's not as competitive, like in Europe or in, like, Asia. And it's like, yeah, dude, <laughs> Xbox is never making up that ground. So I don't know. I understand Call of Duty is like the most important IP you could own other than Fortnite. But like, I just don't even think that's enough at this point. I think there are generations of people who are just so permanently ingrained on PlayStation that you just you can get some of them and they will. And I think Xbox Series X and S will do way better than Xbox One. And I think it will bring back a lot of people who left Xbox 360, went to PS4, didn't go to Xbox One. I think you'll get a lot of those people back this generation. I think you'll get a lot of people who historically play PlayStation and didn't pay attention to Xbox to be like, you know what? I'm also going to pick up a Series S while I'm at it because Game Pass sounds like a good deal. Sure, you're going to convert people. And these online subscription services, especially in emerging markets, is going to be a huge deal. But I don't think Call of Duty, as big as it is, is going to be the thing that makes people be like, you know what? Fuck PlayStation, especially considering that I'm very confident Xbox is or Microsoft is going to continue to happily put Call of Duty on PlayStation platforms, you know, for, and I don't just mean through this three deal, three game deal that Jim Ryan's going on and on about. I mean, like, just indefinitely, I do not see Call of Duty not being on PlayStation. But anyway, let's drop it there. Um, we talk about that stuff a lot. So I don't want to, you know, we, have, we got a lot of new stuff to talk about today. So let's, let's save our energy for that. Guys, that's it for our stories of mild amusement. Uh, let's next, we'll move on to the main news, but you know how it is. We don't move that fast on this podcast. Because first, before I tell you about the news, we got to talk about the games we've been playing this week. But before I can tell you about the games I've been playing this week, I got to tell you about what I've been eating. Because you can't play games if you ain't been eating. Because I've been alive long enough to know you need to put fuel in your tank. If you don't put, uh, you know, food, wait, food, food is fuel. If you get picky about what you eat, your, your, your engine is going to die. Uh, that's from Ratatouille. That's what Ratatouille's dad says to Ratatouille when he's young. All right, what I've been eating, guys. Cronky. Oh, I have not been eating Cronky. Hold on. Cronky, among others, including people who've commented on the show, have told me, Jesse, did you know Wendy's changed their French fries? You gotta try their new fries. Their new fries are awesome. I have not seen a single ad saying that Wendy's changed their fries. I have not, you know, and I'm a fast food guy, so I'm clearly targeted for this shit. I live right next to a Wendy's and drive past it every day on my way to work, and I have not seen any. I have not seen any kind of news about it at all. No, no banner outside like we got new fries. Come in and try them or anything. Just nothing about this. So if they have new fries, they're not doing a good job of marketing it. But 
you know me, I'm not a huge Wendy's guy. I, I think Wendy's is okay sometimes. It's just not my favorite. But um, whatever. I, I finally, you know, I was coming home from the water park the other day. And I was going home. And I was, like, super hungry. I was, I was going to pick up a pizza, right? And I ended up not facing a bunch of Orlando traffic for the first time because I don't know why. Um, so I ended up actually getting home, like, 15 minutes earlier than I thought I would be. But I had already ordered my pizza. So I was like, ah. I'm like right outside this pizza place right next to home, but I got 15 minutes to go before my pizza's ready. What do I do? So I did what any other fat ass would do. And I said, I'm waiting for dinner. I should probably get a snack before I eat dinner. So I go across the street to the Wendy's and I'm like, let me just, let me just try these new fries. I haven't had fast food in so long. I've been a really good boy about staying away from fast food. Uh, everyone keeps saying Wendy's got new fries, even though I'm not seeing no ads on YouTube. And so whatever, I pull up, I'm like, I'm sure they have like a small fry for like 80 cents. Let's, let's try this out. Um, the smallest fry size you can get at Wendy's is called a junior. It's basically a small and it's like $1.80. So first of all, fuck you, Wendy's for price gouging on fast food French fries, even in a recession, you greedy bastards. But anyway, I get, I get the fries. And when I get up to the window where they hand me the bag, I'm like, you know what? The one thing I objectively love about Wendy's is they have this one dipping sauce called creamy sriracha. I'm like, yo, let me get some creamy sriracha because if they got these new fries, I'm going to try them on their own. I'm also going to try them with some creamy sriracha. We're going to see how that goes. And the lady looks at me and just goes, what? And I'm like, oh, no, you got rid of them? I was like, uh, you know, the creamy sriracha. She goes, did you say ketchup? I'm like, am I, am I being punked? Like, I'm like, how the fuck do you get ketchup out of that? You know I hate ketchup. So I'm like, no, no, no. Uh, I mean, like, the creamy sriracha, it's like a dipping sauce for, like, the nuggets and the fries. And she goes, um, let me check. And then she like closes the drive-through window, walks away, comes back, and she's like, "Uh-uh, we don't have creamy sriracha. We have we have ketchup." I'm like, "Fucking don't want ketchup. Stop, stop. I don't want ketchup. I didn't ask for ketchup. Stop offering me ketchup." And so uh, I'm just like, "Well, do you have like any like what what other kind of sauce do you have like right now?" I'm just like, "Whatever. Maybe there's something else that'll be good." She goes, "Oh, we got ghost pepper ranch." I'm like, "Bitch, you have ghost pepper ranch." And you keep offering me ketchup. You keep shoving ketchup down my fucking throat, metaphorically, when you got something called ghost pepper ranch sauce. I'm like, first of all, you're going to hell. I know that for a fact. And, and just to be clear, I wasn't rude to this person. I'm, I'm not an asshole. I work in customer service. I'm not going to be that fucking asshole who treats an uh, innocent <laughs> customer service worker in a drive-thru who has no control over the situation anyway other than just it is what it is. But anyway, for the, for the dramatic effect of the story, obviously, I'm playing it up. Anyway, so I'm like, whatever. I'm like, you know what? Ghost pepper ranch sauce sounds interesting. Can I get one of those? So she hands me the ghost pepper ranch sauce. I got my little bag of fucking like $2 french fries for a junior. And, and, and I got the ghost pepper ranch sauce. I'm a little crestfallen about the, the demise of the creamy sriracha. I'm hoping that they didn't get rid of creamy sriracha and that maybe she's just new and she she's no one's ever asked her for it before. So she just didn't know they have it. And I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe. So next time I go to Wendy's, I'll try to ask for creamy sriracha again. If they don't have it, well, then I got good news for you because the ghost pepper ranch sauce is fucking great. Wendy's, I wish your burgers were good because your sauces sure are. Ghost pepper ranch is the fucking shit. It's so good. It's genuinely spicy, first of all. Like, it's actually hot, which is nice because so often when you go to, like, these, like, white people food places, they're like, crazy flaming hot pepperoni pizza or whatever. I don't know what the fuck they do. And then it's like, it's like, oh, it's got like some flavor. Is that the thing you're referring to as spicy? And it's just, it's never really spicy. Spicy chicken sandwich just will blow your mouth open or some bullshit like that. And then you bite into it and you're like, yeah, I taste a little extra black pepper. Like, it's not really spicy. But like this, this shit, is, it's got a decent kick to it. And it's really creamy. It's peppery. It's ranch. I love it. It's great. So I guess I should tell you about the new fries because that's the reason why I was there. 
the new Wendy's fries, man, I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, I remember when I was in high school, like in 2010, 2011 maybe, when I was in high school, Wendy's was going all out. They're like, yo, we just overhauled our fries. We changed our fries. And I was like, oh, okay. And I remember going to Wendy's in high school and being like, wow, these new fries are much better than their old fries. I don't remember what their old fries tasted like, but I remember their new fries were like much better, but still no McDonald's fries. So I was like, whatever, move on with life. These new fries that we're talking about, that Kronky keeps telling me to try, that people keep writing and telling me to try, that everyone, my fucking doctor keeps calling me and like, don't forget to eat your Wendy's fries. I'm like, okay. They taste exactly the same as the regular fries that they changed back in 2010, 2011. So I don't see what's going on here. I've tried these fries. Maybe, I wonder if maybe they're testing these fries in other markets and they're not officially rolled out nationwide. And in here in Orlando, we just don't have these new fries yet. But to the best of my ability these or remembrance these tasted exactly like what i remember them being so i i don't know new wendy's fries i'm not gonna say they're bad i think wendy's has decent fries especially since they changed them a decade ago or so i i think their fries are fine and with this ghost pepper ranch sauce excellent this whole trip was worth it just because i discovered the ghost pepper ranch sauce um and which i'm now a huge fan of i might even prefer it over the creamy sriracha rest in peace but um these new fries i i don't know man i have a nuanced palate you guys know that I hate ketchup. That's how nuanced my palate is. And I'm here to tell you, these these new fries, they're good. They just tasted the exact same as the old ones. But um, that's what I've been eating. Glad we got that out there in the open. Need to air my grievance with the uh, with the retirement of the creamy sriracha. Now we can talk about what I've been playing. Guys, you might be surprised to hear it. Actually, I think there's two games I've been playing this week, and you might be surprised about both of them. Maybe. I don't know. Who gives a shit? You might not care. Chances are you don't care. Well, screw you. We're talking about them anyway. The first one is Halo Infinite. Yeah. So they're doing, and I'm only going to say this once. They're they're doing an event right now. I think there's still like four days left of it as of the time of this recording um, called The Yappening. I'm not fucking saying that again. That's the name of the event. Remember it or forever forget it. I don't care. But it's, you know, they always do these little fucking little one, one to two week timed events. It's like, oh, we give a, a little 10 tier battle pass. Here's a couple little cosmetics you can unlock. Um, you know, the event is we put this new game mode in, go fuck yourself, go hog wild. Usually these events in Halo Infinite, in my experience and from my personal perspective, have been underwhelming as hell. It's usually like we put in a, 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 a an underwhelming game mode or, or like, God, like the one where they, when they introduced Last Spartan Standing and they're just like, here are all these challenges. You have to play Last Spartan Standing in order to unlock them, but you can't play with your friends. God, these events usually just don't go my way. I'm not usually a huge fan. The challenges are a little obtuse. The game modes aren't my thing, whatever. But um, I got to be honest, the, so far this event, I think is probably my favorite event they've done since Halo Infinite launched. Um, and on paper, it doesn't really sound like my thing, but it, it, in actuality, I think this is great. So basically what it is, is it's a bunch of big team battle modes, all the big team battle modes, including just like big team battle Slayer. It's just Fiesta, Fiesta twist on it. Like, boom, you can just, every time you spawn, you get different equipment and different weapons and go nuts. And listen, Fiesta, I'm a huge fan of Fiesta. It's always been one of my favorite modes in Halo. I love Halo 5 Fiesta because that game has so many weapons, so many weapon variants. It's so good. But in Halo 5, in Halo Infinite, when they finally introduced Fiesta earlier this year, I was so disappointed with it. I thought it sucked because this game does not have enough weapons and all the weapons are so case specific, like use case specific that like it's not really fun to be like, oh, yay, I launched with a fucking plasma pistol and a fucking st like storm rifle or Ravenger again. And then like everyone around you just coincidentally spawned with like rocket launchers and energy swords and shit. 
So I have not been a huge fan of Halo Infinite's regular Fiesta, but finally getting to play Fiesta in big team battle changes everything. It just feels like these weapons, this very, very, very limited weapon variety that Halo Infinite offers, feels very balanced and very ideal in big team battle. So just spawning every time with completely different weapons, plus it's big team battle, so just pick shit up everywhere. It feels excellent. I am loving this event. I'm actually having a really good time with it. I think I only have, like, the challenges are super straightforward and easy, and they don't get in the way of the fun. It's literally things like, you want to unlock a tier of the limited time battle pass? Like, play a match of this event, or, like, get five kills in this event. Like, it's super easy stuff that you're just going to unlock purely from playing and enjoying the event. It doesn't make you play the event in broken and stupid ways. And uh, I don't know what to say. I, I just, I'm having a really good time with Halo Infinite right now. I guess something about all the really negative Halo Infinite news we're about to get into, uh, or all the, you know, all the disappointing Halo news we've been experiencing lately, something about all that has just put a, a good omen uh, over Halo Infinite for whatever reason. And I don't know, I think this is an excellent event. I, I, I think if you're taking, if, you, if you're like me and you've been taking a break from Halo Infinite for a little while, um, at least during the, the next few days while this event is still going on, I think now's a great time to get in on this because it's a very fun event. All these big team battle modes with Fiesta weapon loadouts is, is a great time. Um, the the some of the cosmetics in, in the little pack are pretty cool, uh, and the challenges are not completely fucking broken and stupid. And so I've been enjoying some Halo Infinite. Really glad to say so. Uh, the other game I've been playing, also my thirty for loot, because you're like, wow, Jesse's always shitting on Halo Infinite or talking about how he's taking a break or just pissed off that people didn't like Halo Five more. Wow, he's enjoying Halo Infinite. Wow. Uh, so surely the other game he's playing is probably like fucking uh, Yakuza or or uh, Tony Sharon's Papa. What, what's that seasoning called? <laughs> anyway, the other game I've been playing this week is Splatoon 3. <laughs> so uh, with the knowledge that Plague Tale Innocence is leaving Game Pass. In fact, I think by the time this podcast is going live that it's already left Game Pass. But with the news that Plague Tale is leaving Game Pass, I was like, you know what? I just I, I need to just download the game this weekend and power through it because I know I'm going to like this game when I finally play it. It's just one of those games where I really don't want to start it. But once I start it, I know I'm going to love it. And so that was my plan. I had it downloaded. I was ready to go. And then I was like, oh, fuck. Splatoon 3 comes out this year. And I'm on this kick where it's like I play one Nintendo Switch game a year. Like, I'm a very jaded ex-Nintendo fanboy, and it's like, I, I shit on Nintendo for 11 months out of the year, and then one month out of the year, I'm like, I'm going to buy this new Nintendo Switch game, have a really good time for a little while, and then go right back to hating on Nintendo again. And Splatoon 3, I knew I knew this was going to happen. Like, all throughout the year, i just be like, oh, yes, they're making another Splatoon. Like, I fucking loved Splatoon on the Wii U when it first came out in 2015. I was up that game's ass. I was on it all day, every day. I fucking loved that game. When Splatoon 2 came out on the Switch, I was like, this is the first, this was like the first Switch game that was like really for me because it came out pretty early into the Switch's life. I think it was within the first six months or so. And and so I played a shit ton of Splatoon 2. I played the Octo uh, DLC expansion for, I, I love Splatoon. But um, Splatoon 3, I've been like, you know what? I'm just, I'm not I, I'm not spending 60 bucks. It looks like more of the same shit. I'm, I'm happy here on Xbox. I don't need to use my Switch. I, I want to get achievements when I play new games. But then um, I couldn't resist, dude. I was like, Plague Tale, I'm ready to go home and play you after work today. Let's get this going. And then I watched a review on Splatoon 3. And the review was like, 
If you like Splatoon, this game is great. Unfortunately, a lot of the maps are recycled, and it really just feels like quality of life improvements over an otherwise same exact Splatoon experience that you've had before. And I'm like, oh, look at that. The reviews are even like good, not great. I'm good. I don't have to play Splatoon 3. So what I do, I went home and I downloaded Splatoon 3 immediately. Well, before you go like, Jesse, you're a fucking idiot and you don't deserve $60 because you wasted it. Listen, if you bought the game at Target, they give you a free pair of sunglasses, morons. So my plan was, because I only like digital games, I fucking hate physical games. So I was like, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to download the game. I'm going to go to Target, I'm going to buy it physically, get the glasses, and then go straight to the return center, return the game, and then go home and play it. But I didn't do that. I ended up just getting the glasses for free because I, I, I couldn't find them anywhere, and I asked an employee there, and he's like, he, he seemed like he really didn't want to be there, and he was just like, um, dude, I'm not supposed to do this, but I don't care. And he literally handed me a pair of the glasses. He's like, you can just take these. We're just giving them out anyway. I'm like, oh, cool, thank you. So I ended up getting a pair of the glasses for free at Target, plus I got the digital version of the game, which is superior because I don't want to keep up with a physical copy of a game. And now I'm a true elite gamer. That's right, I'm running around with a little Nintendo Switch in my hands. Goddamn, I, dude, after this much time being away from the Switch, I... You cannot play the Switch in handheld mode. Those Joy-Cons are absolute ass. Like, objectively ass. They suck. But thankfully, back when the Switch first came out, I bought the Pro Controller. So, dock that shit into your TV, hold that Pro Controller, which feels ergonomically great despite not having actual triggers, and play yourself some Splatoon 3 with your Splatoon 3 glasses on, and everyone thinks you look like an absolute G, and, dude, it's good shit. I haven't even told you what the game's like, but... Listen, it's more Splatoon, but it's fucking fun. I, I love this series so much. I think it's such a creative twist. I mean, I love I loved Nintendo a lot growing up. I love shooters and competitive shooting games. And uh, Splatoon perfectly marries the crazy, zany, colorful, fun, artistic uniqueness of Nintendo games and marries it with, like, super energetic, fun, twitchy, uh, competitive multiplayer shooter games. And it just marries those two things perfectly. Splatoon has an amazing aesthetic, phenomenal music, super fun gameplay. It's fast, it's frantic, matches are quick enough to where it's like you just always want to go another one, another one, another one. I, I don't know, man. Splatoon 3 literally is just more of the same, but in the best way possible. I'm uh, I'm having a good time playing it. I don't regret picking it up. My only regret is that I just don't have time to play it right now. Uh, but rest assured, once I do get the time, I'm, I'm going to say... Sorry, Plague Tale Innocence. <laughs> I guess I'm going to have to play you a different day because now you're off Game Pass. I didn't get around to you when I had the chance, but I do have these super sick-ass Splatoon 3 sunglasses courtesy of the guy at Target who gave them to me. So that's what I've been playing, guys. Uh, thank you for bearing with me. Guys, let's uh, let's take a little break here and move on into the news segment. What do you say? We talk about some big news surrounding 343, a bunch of new game events that happen. Let's get into it. All right, let's start with the very first biggest news story, the one I think most of you guys are keen to hear about. I, at least I assume this is definitely the biggest news in Xbox right now. But before we start with the news story, a little comment to help preface. Now, this comment was written probably a day or two before this news broke. The comment comes from none other than the OG commenter, the godfather of Xbox on commenting, Dead Captain James, and he says... I'm still alive. Sorry I haven't commented in a few weeks. The first month of back to school is insane for teachers. Anyway, I think it's time to legitimately think about firing Bonnie Ross or giving Halo to someone else. Something is definitely wrong at 343 and has to change. All right, our story reads from VGC. 
343 Industries studio head Bonnie Ross has announced that she's leaving the Halo developer. In a message shared online, Ross said she's stepping down for the first time or stepping down after 15 years in charge of the studio in order to attend to a family medical issue. Ross is also leaving Microsoft after more than 28 years in gaming at the company. Quote, while I had hoped to stay at Halo until the winter update, I'm letting you know I will be leaving 343 and attending to a family medical issue, Ross wrote. I'm incredibly proud of the work everyone at 343 Industries has done with Halo Infinite, the Master Chief Collection, the Halo television series, and so much more. It has been an honor to serve alongside the team for the last 15 years and to be a part of a universe that I love. Thank you to everyone in the Halo community for your support. Halo's future is bright. I cannot wait for all you to experience what it has in store and cheer alongside you as a fan at the Halo World Championship in October. End quote. Following her departure, Microsoft has confirmed that 343's head of production, Pierre Heinz, 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 is also becoming the studio head effective immediately. The company also told Windows Central that the studio's senior leadership is being expanded with new roles. Brian Kosky, who previously headed up the marketing for Halo, will become GM of the franchise, while business, operations, and esports head Elizabeth Van Wyck will oversee business and operations. Quote, after more than 28 years in gaming at Microsoft, including 15 years leading 343 Industries through its most ambitious steps forward, Bonnie Ross will be leaving Microsoft and spending more time with her family, was the quote officially issued by Microsoft. We are thankful for her leadership of 343, during which her team has launched Halos 4, 5, the Master Chief Collection, the Halo television series, and Halo Infinite. We wish her all the best. 343 Industries recently confirmed a fresh round of Halo Infinite content delays, which we discussed last week, as well as the cancellation of the game's local split-screen co-op mode. Campaign co-op, the Forge beta, and Season 3 have all been pushed back. The studio confirmed in a development update last month, or this month, actually, early September. Halo Studio 343 Industries is reportedly set to lose another membership. Sorry, I should, I should uh, preface then the next day, another story came out, and I'm just attaching this onto the end as an addendum. Uh, 343 is also reportedly set to lose yet another member of the leadership team in the shape of engineering director David Berger. That's according to a Lords of Gaming report corroborated with Windows Central sources. Former FASA interactive developer Berger was within 343 for over 14 years and at Microsoft for over 20. During his time at 343, he has built a 120-strong engineering team from the ground up, according to his LinkedIn profile. He helped ship Halo 4, 5, Infinite, including the development of the slip space engine used for the most recent series entry. VGC has contacted Microsoft for comment on the reports. Although at this time, nothing has officially been confirmed. Dead Captain James writes in and says, Damn, Bonnie must have read my comment because she left 343. This was for the best, I think. Saves Xbox from the bad PR and from fi from firing her. I hope Jess Joseph steps up and takes the job, to be honest. Well, Dead Captain James, uh, regardless of how you or anyone feels about this story, there's no denying that you single-handedly willed this into existence. You did this. There's blood on your hands. I hope you're fucking happy. No, but all seriousness, I just, uh, no, I had, to, I had to tease you a little bit because it was just too funny that both of those comments happened uh, in between all this news. Uh, but no, I, let, let's, <laughs> let's get into the story. Um, okay, let's get the uncomfortable, not the uncomfortable. You know, let's let's get the sensitive part out of the way. If um if Bonnie Ross comes out and says, "Hey, due to f a family medical emergency, I I'm leaving the company." You know, I was planning on staying a little longer, but due to recent developments, I'm leaving the company. Listen, if someone says that, that instantly becomes more important, sensitive than 
Halo or what we the fans have to say about who's doing a good job or a bad job running the team or this or that. It simply just immediately goes down to like, I don't want to be an asshole and speculate here and be like, no, that's not true. She got fired because she sucks. No, because if someone says like, hey, something personal is going on in my family, I, I got to go. It's like, you know what, Bonnie Ross? Uh, if I were you and I were in your position, I know that uh, a family medical emergency like that would mean a whole lot more to me than fucking Halo. <laughs> so I don't blame you. And so the the number one most important thing I, I think here to preface with is that just out of sheer respect for Bonnie Ross, for her family, for anyone who has ever been in a situation like that, which it, unfortunately, you know, at some point, that's pretty much all of us, right? I, I just want to be respectful and say, if she says she's leaving because of a family medical emergency, even though that sure that could hypothetically be used or abused as a scapegoat or, or PR move for, for something bigger happening at a studio. I, I don't think that this is important enough for me to speculate and just rudely like assume that she, someone or herself or someone would, you know, whatever lie about something so serious and personal. So I'm gonna give her the benefit of the doubt and say, I'm really sorry to hear that that is something that you and your family are facing. I, I hope, you know, absolutely all the best uh, case scenarios occur that you know whatever's going on everyone is healthy everyone is safe and that your family is well because I mean that's that's all anyone could could ever care about so that's that's what matters most now with that out of, out of the way and I and I, I mean to convey a genuine and sincere amount of respect and and um, you know and in and, and empathy for her and her family we, we got to talk about this story otherwise and yeah I, I get it it is so incredibly coincidental, I'll say, because I think convenient would even be a little too rude to, to say. Coincidental that one week, 343 is kind of forced to make a devastating blow announcement to the roadmap for Halo Infinite. It's something that they sure as hell don't want us to have to admit. It's something we sure as hell don't want to hear. And Halo Infinite was already in rough shape before this announcement was made. So just made things go from really bad to absolute shit. I'm not going to say from bad to worse. I'm not going to say from an okay system to a, a, a rocky one to a, to a really, to a bad one. I'm going to say this is the Halo Infinite situation just went from absolute shit to mega shit. Like it's bad. It's really bad. And there's no sugarcoating it. Unfortunately, it just is what it is. And we talked about this at nauseum the other week and, and, I still contend with my original theory and statement that I think they have to kind of do the the reboot on the roadmap for this game because, remember, this game was being developed in midair as it was happening, as it was coming out. And so I think really what it is, it's like, let's just fucking suck it up, content delay everything a bunch. 2022 is a wash. It's a wash for everyone else anyway, so my, you know, at least use that to our advantage here. And uh, next year, we'll just uh, we'll, we'll get enough content together and work on our new game plan, our new roadmap, and kind of reorient and figure things out so that when we start to release content next year, it won't have to be massive chunks of time in between. It won't have to be six-month seasons, you know? Maybe if we just delay the content that's pretty much ready to go now, we can start next spring, next summer, and then start having a normal content rollout with regular updates and regular season lengths and all these things. And I think that is absolutely what they're trying to work on right now. But for the interim, for the rest of 2022, you know, until then, until we start getting shit, this sucks. <laughs> and, of course, everyone's thing was they took to the internet and they're like, 
someone's doing something wrong. So, you know, and I'm not going to act like I'm, I'm no better. I, I, I said myself last week, it seems like 343 has been catastrophically mismanaged and misrun. And I, and I even mentioned Bonnie Ross myself. Now, I'm not one of these people who's going to call for Bonnie Ross's head, but it, it is true. At the end of the day, the buck stops with her as far as 343 goes. Now, I don't work at 343. I don't work at Xbox. I don't work at Microsoft. I don't work in this industry. I don't pretend or purport to know anything about what's going on behind the scenes or how this shit works because I don't know. But it sure seems like from an outsider's perspective, from my ivory tower, where I can just make guesses and assumptions for the sake of your entertainment, even though it's you know potentially at the expense of these people who actually are in the trenches working and know what's really going on, it sure seems like from an outsider's perspective that, yeah, someone in upper management is, is massively, catastrophically failing at running this operation. Maybe it's Bonnie Ross. Maybe she has all the assets and, and the resources and the time and the everything possible, and she's just done a bad job. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it's Bonnie Ross's boss. Maybe it's Phil Spencer. Maybe it's Matt Booty. I don't fucking know. Maybe it's none of that. Maybe it's just on an individual basis, like or, or on a fundamental basis, the 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 what three four three is out to do is just not is not resulting in, in quality teams and, and, and they're just a little too scatterbrained. I don't, I don't know. That last one, I, I don't really believe. I think there are enough people in this world who are passionate and would love the opportunity to work on Halo that if you got the right team together under the right management, you could have something truly magnificent on your hands. I do believe that. But regardless, any type of conjecture or speculation about what went wrong, who's responsible, and what needs to be done to fix it, on all of our parts as fans, as as consumers, as audience members, is simply just conjecture, and we don't know. And I just want to be incredibly forward about that because of the circumstances surrounding Bonnie Ross's leaving. It's just, I don't know, it's just our selfish desires as, as consumers and gamers is not important enough to trump the circumstances in which Bonnie Ross is having to leave. And uh, yeah, I guess if you want to be, if you want to say, listen, I don't know this woman. I don't know. I don't care about this. This is, you know, as, as a consumer, all I care about is just my fucking video game. I paid money for this video game. I invested time in this video game. I just want it to be good, damn it. Sure. If you want to be that guy, you're a little bit of an asshole. Sure. And I'm not calling anyone out. I don't think anyone who commented it on the story or said anything about it uh, exhibits that kind of mentality or behavior. I'm not trying to put that on anyone. But, you know, if, if hypothetically, if that's someone's attitude is like, what do I care? It's just about me and my relationship as a consumer with this product. I guess fair enough. You, ha- you have the right to be like, whatever, the fucking game is broken and I want someone to come in and fix it. I want someone to be held accountable for this. I, I guess you have every right to feel that way technically. And it seems like Microsoft is eager to shake things up. Because the fact that they just had some, they had a team lined up to replace her instantly. You know, the fact that then someone else of high authority leaves. You know, your lead engineer leaves shortly after this. It tells you that there were rumblings and things going on behind the scenes and people and happenings where people were ready. And and I don't know. It's just it's it's certainly a look. And so I guess I don't know. This is the story this week where obviously it's the biggest news. Uh, story to come out of Xbox this week, but at the same time, I kind of want to walk on eggshells a little bit because I want to show a sign of respect, and I, and I just also want to say this because here's the thing is, and I think this is the most fundamental takeaway from this story. At the end of the day, we can all come together as Halo fans and say, you know what, I've been going over you know what we know as fans, the many years of studying this industry and this studio and Xbox and Halo and how all this has gone down. 
and you know we come together as a community and say we're we're collectively pretty confident that Bonnie Ross is the issue. She's the reason why things aren't going as they should be over at three four three. Whatever. Let's say we all come to that agreement, and then Microsoft is like, you know what? The fans want her gone. Let's get her gone. And let's say she leaves. Then what? What happens if two years from now there's a Halo Infinite? 2.0 relaunch and there's a second campaign and a massive multiplayer overhaul and a bunch of new shit and every it's like a total reimagining of Halo Infinite and then they also announce Halo 7 so they're like oh four years away but this is the next Halo we're working on and it's just like blah 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 here's the next content roadmap for Halo and what we're doing with the franchise and what if it looks like ass what if everything looks like it's not turning out all right and it's just more and more dismay and trouble because my concern is it's like well what happens when we take Bonnie Ross out of the equation because we all assumed she was the problem. And then down the road, we find out, uh-oh, Bonnie Ross wasn't the problem. 343 still broke. Uh-oh. I just don't like having the, the in, uh, I don't know. I, I want to be respectful because I don't want to insult any anyone who feels like, you know, that Bonnie Ross is the issue because, I mean, you're entitled to your opinion, your perspective. But I just don't like having the authority or, or the self-titled, the self-appointed authority to be like, that's the problem. That's what needs to be fixed. But I'm not really in the trenches knowing. And then potentially that person or that team or whatever is not the real issue. And listen, I, I get it. Like, I fucking, I work in management. <laughs> I know at the end of the day, the failures of the team are the failures of the leadership because the leadership are the ones in charge of making sure the team achieves their goals, has the resources and the support and the help they need to, to make their their work achievable and doable. And if milestones aren't met, if, if content isn't complete, if the game is not progressing and coming along and everything is not there when it needs to be there, that is ultimately the responsibility of the upper management. I get that. I fucking understand it. That's my day job. <laughs> but, but at the same time, it's like, I, I just don't want to sit here as a complete outsider and just say, well, that's the problem. Because it's easy, you know, I'm, I, I, I've got the armor, I'm guarded here, you know, there's no, no one can get me for just talking in front of a microphone on a Wednesday night into the, into the void about what I think is wrong at this Seattle-based video game developer, right? But uh, there are real people who work here and real consequences to suffer uh, and, and to face for, for the successes and failures of these games. And I just don't want to, I don't know, I, I want to kind of, <laughs> I guess, shy away from the responsibility of playing a role in... And people having to suffer and face these consequences because ultimately, as much as I love gaming, as much as I love Xbox, as much as I love Halo, I don't think that I should have, you know, me or this community should have that much of a impact on people's livelihoods and, and, and you know, the behind the scenes happenings of a place they don't properly and fully understand. So that that's my whole thing on this is like I just I can't I can't in good faith just be like Bonnie Ross is out. Good, good. Sorry for her family, but this is for the best. Like I don't, I don't know, because <laughs> what if the next team fucks up worse than she did, or what if the what if three four three feels the exact same? And the thing is, we won't know because it's going to take a while for for the the effects of this change to really be felt, all the way down to the consumer level. It's going to take a while, so we don't know. We could have, you know, we could have just beheaded. I mean, this is it's like a it could be like a witch trial, and I don't mean to say that just because Bonnie Ross is a woman, but you know, it's like. We could be beheading someone just because we live in an ignorant age and, <laughs> and, and, and this person believes in science. And so we're calling for a witch's beheading and it, we're just wrong. Or we could be completely right. I don't know. So really, I just, I don't know. I want to wish Bonnie Ross the absolute best. And of course, thoughts and 
put you know put put some uh, respect out there for her family because I think that's the most important part here. But as for Halo, this is a massive shakeup. Bonnie Ross is a a key and pivotal pivotal person in the entire formation of 343 and the entire carrying out and continuation of Halo's existence the way we know it you know like she she was part of that that early foundational team that was like hey we you know following Bungie's completion of Halo 3 and their expressing desire to move on from the Halo franchise and then this contractual obligation for them to do this one more game thing with Reach and all that Bonnie Ross was there at the forefront of all of that being like hey we want to put together because I, I if I'm not mistaken as the story goes Microsoft was like Bungie doesn't want to work on Halo. I guess we're going to shelve Halo for a while. And basically, Bonnie Ross and, and this team came together, and they were like, "No, like we we want to work on Halo. We want to like we want to see this franchise continue." So, no doubt, Bonnie Ross is a Halo fan. She she is someone who loves this franchise and wants to see the continuation and the enrichment of it. And you know, this team got together and worked with Bungie during the development of Halo Reach and learned the ins and outs and how Bungie thinks about and does Halo and that team continued to grow and learn and became 343. And then their first full-fledged project, other than just working on, like, DLC for Halo Reach and stuff, ended up being the Halo uh, Combat Evolved 10-year anniversary game. And then they went ahead and made Halo 4. And I know everyone has their criticisms and their gripes with 343, but I, I just got to reemphasize. I think 343 is the best-suited team in the year 2022 to make a Halo game. I think they get the series better than anyone. I think for the people who are out there saying, they should give Halo back to Bungie, you're a fucking idiot. You don't understand anything about video games. The people who work at Bungie today are not the people who worked at Bungie 15 years ago. The people who work at Bungie today are really well-suited to make a games-as-a-service type game like Destiny, even though Halo's trying to be games-as-a-service, so maybe they'd be quite good at it. I don't know. But this is not the Halo team. Just because the name is the same doesn't mean the team is the same. And this idea of like, we'll give, we'll, you know, Xbox just bought Bethesda, dude. Give id the Halo license. Oh, they're buying Activision. Give Infinity Ward or Treyarch the, the Halo license. Listen, man, I am 127% on board for Microsoft being like, yo, uh, Treyarch, do you guys want to make a Halo spinoff? Uh, oh, id, do you guys want to make a Halo spinoff? And tossing the IP around to some of your newly acquired studios. I think that is a fucking stellar idea. But the idea of ripping the actual mainline series from 343 and saying, no, you fucked up, you don't get Halo anymore, and giving it to an all-new team, I think it's stupid. It's just as risky as continuing to let 343 work on Halo, if not riskier. Uh, It could take just as long as letting 343 make another beleaguered, long-in-development Halo project like they did with Infinite. I I think it solves none of your problems and increases your risk. So, so the, the idea of removing 343 from the project, I think, is just dumb. The idea of letting other teams work on Halo, I, I think, in a, in a spin-off capacity or, in, you know, making supplemental or additional Halo games that further flesh out the universe around the main entry 343 games, that's fucking awesome. I'm all for it. Dude, let the fucking team that made Call of Duty Black Ops, let them make a Halo game. I'm all for it. Give me, I want that team to be put on the resurrection of Firefight Project. I want them to do Halo Firefight with a bunch of Call of Duty Zombies influence. Give me that game all day, baby. But I'm not here to say that Bonnie Ross was the problem. I think we're about to feel over the coming years a huge change at 343. I hope it's for the better. You know, I hope that this new team. Um, you know, understands Halo perfectly in the way in, in the ways that will please 
audiences and in in I, I don't know man it's like I, I think my number one thing i hate uh, with halo isn't even really like it doesn't feel like halo it doesn't look like halo. i think my number one thing is like i want structurally for 343 to be fixed that's something that we do know as outsiders is going on the whole like contract work people not being uh given full-time jobs teams just you know people just coming cycling in and out of 343 for resume experience but not actually sticking around at the studio and wanting to stick with halo for as a long as a long-term project that kind of shit that's what i want to see 343 change the most i want to see them get into a position where they're like listen we want only the most passionate core you know, set of developers, people who are here because they love Halo and it is their dream and passion to contribute to Halo and work on Halo. Not people who are like, oh, I have the opportunity to work on Halo. That's going to look great on my resume. Fuck, I'll do that for a year. I don't want that. So I need Microsoft to understand that the sky is the limit when it comes to budgeting for your flagship fucking studio. So give 343 all the money and time in the world to do what they got to do. But I want to see 343 treat their staff right, staff appropriately, and get a absurdly passionate creative team together who loves Halo. And I'm sure that 343 is mostly already comprised of that, but I want to see that be the entire studio, the entire stack, top to bottom. From QA to head to, to fucking studio head. I want to see the entire stack be passionate Halo fans who are dedicated to crafting the greatest Halo experience ever. I don't know if losing Bonnie Ross gets us one step closer to that goal. I don't know if it makes us further from that goal. I don't know if it's a neutral point. I don't know. But I think that is the fundamental thing that needs to change at 343. That, and they need to fix these armor cores because this is stupid. I hate these armor cores. All right, that's it for this story. And uh, Dead Captain James, I hope I, I, I hope that didn't come off uh, as I was discussing my thoughts and takes. I hope that didn't come off as like me using your comment to kind of dog on you or people who feel the way you feel about the story. I simply used that comment because I thought it was fucking funny as hell and ironic that you opened with that comment and not knowing what the future would hold. And then that news broke and then this follow-up comment. So uh, respect. Love you, bro. Thank you for writing in. And uh, to all of you, thank you for listening. Guys, we're not done with the podcast. Shut up. Don't turn off your TVs. We got another whole series of news stories. And this is this is basically the rest of the show. Now we got the Bonnie Ross thing out of the way. The rest of the week was just showcase after showcase after showcase. Nintendo had a showcase with Xbox news. Uh, PlayStation had an, a, a showcase with Xbox news. Um, fucking Ubisoft and Disney. And, and it's just, let's, let's get into these because this is the... <laughs> this is the the bulk of the show going forward. So, I think the next the next one we're going to talk about is uh, we're going to start with Nintendo Showcase because I think their their bombshell Xbox related news is probably the other big story of the week that people are really fixated on. And I got to be honest, I'm I'm not confident in my ability to figure out or analyze what the hell is going on here, but I am excited to talk about it. So let's let's get into it. VGC relays. Microsoft has officially confirmed an HD remaster of GoldenEye 007 for Xbox Game Pass in addition to a Nintendo Switch release in 2023. Quote, the original experience has been updated with improved controls, options, including dual analog stick support, native 16 by 9 resolution up to 4K Ultra HD where supported. A consistent fresh rate, uh, refresh rate, and full comp, uh, com- sorry, and a full complete, and a full complement of achievements to unlock. Developer Rare said, "GoldenEye 007 will be made available on Xbox One, Xbox Series X and S, and as part of Xbox Game Pass. Additionally, players who own the digital copy of Rare Replay, which was released back 
2015, I want to say, on Xbox One. Uh, but players who own a digital copy of Rare Replay will be able to download the game free of charge. It's not clear what improvements the Switch version of the game will include, but a trailer premiered during the Nintendo Direct where it was announced and it confirmed online multiplayer for Nintendo. Put a pin in that. However, according to the official Xbox site, online multiplayer will be exclusive. Actually, don't put a pin in that. We're getting into it now. Online multiplayer will be exclusive to the Nintendo Switch version of the game. In fact, Microsoft has confirmed to VGC that the Xbox version of GoldenEye 007 will not feature online multiplayer at all. Quote, Xbox is excited to bring GoldenEye 007 to Xbox Game Pass for the very first time. A faithful recreation of a much-loved an, an iconic title, a spokesperson said. Uh, while there are no plans to include online multiplayer as part of GoldenEye 007 on Game Pass, Xbox is focused on bringing the title to players in new ways they fondly remember. Sorry, to ways to in a way they fondly remember, including local multiplayer mode allowing up to four players to take the couch in a battle of wits and skill. GoldenEye 007 was. Uh, Made available on Xbox One and Xbox Series X and S as part of Game Pass. Additionally, players who own a digital copy, we actually just talked about that, sorry. No release date for the title has been given as of yet. The Switch and Xbox re-releases will mark the very first time the game has been available to a platform other than the Nintendo 64 in its, in, uh, in its first new version in 25 years. It's almost my entire lifetime. GoldenEye's remaster was spotted earlier this year when Rare developers were seemingly spotted playing an Xbox version of the game as the progress was being logged onto tracker sites such as TrueAchievements.com. Shout out to True Achievements, they rock. However, it's not clear if the re-release is related to a com uh, completed remaster that was originally planned for the Xbox 360 and virtually completed before being canceled due to rights issues. That's right, we talked about that story in the past. There was also the reimagined game, which is really not GoldenEye 007, that was released on the Nintendo Wii and the Xbox 360 and the PS3 back in the day. Uh, it was literally called 007 GoldenEye, but it was not actually GoldenEye. It was just a new James Bond game with the same name. It was like a spiritual reimagining of the game, basically, but not an actual remake. And then, yes, there's the long-rumored Xbox 360 ground-up remake or port that eventually uh, just never happened. So he here's the thing. It was announced at Nintendo Stage because it's coming to Switch. It was announced at Nintendo Stage because or, or event because it's getting multiplayer online but on the xbox it's yeah it's in game pass it's free if you already have rare replay that's great but on xbox it doesn't have multiplayer this is how you know we live in a in a in a new and unprecedented time where an xbox game doesn't have online multiplayer but a nintendo switch game does i i, I seem as someone who fondly remembers the xbox 360 nintendo wii era in fact i was really a half and half 360 Wii gamer. I loved both of those platforms dearly. I played them both all the fucking time during that generation. I remember always struggling because I wanted Nintendo Wii to be a better supported system, but it was never fully supported because they didn't have the online infrastructure or the power that Xbox and PlayStation had. And I remember always being like, oh, cool, they're making this game that's on Xbox available for Nintendo Wii, but the graphics look like ass, but it's motion controls and it's hard to play, but it doesn't have online multiplayer, but it doesn't have DLC, but it doesn't have voice chat. That is the norm I'm used to. Xbox HD Xbox Live, baby, extra DLC, talk with your friends, fuck around with people, teabag kids, moms, whatever you want to do. It's Xbox, baby. It's all good. Nintendo. Oh, man, this game looks like dog shit. No, scratch that. This game makes dog shit look edible. This game looks like dog shit's shit. 
Also, this game has uh, no multiplayer. Uh, its motion controls are broken. Uh, also, no online. Uh, also, no voice chat. Also, uh, friend codes, which are like social security numbers you have to memorize and give to your pals at school and hope to God you don't fucking digit it up. Otherwise, you're sure as hell never playing Mario Kart with your buddy in math class. That is the Nintendo Xbox dynamic I grew up with and I'm remembering most clearly. And uh, now I sit here in my late 20s uh, in, in, in my computer and my boxers talking to myself in, in, in a microphone and I, and I go, like Nickelback said, how the hell did we end up like this? Why weren't we able to find the Game Pass games we missed were Switch enabled? The multiplayer was Switch enabled. I don't know, fuck that. Anyway, Nintendo Switch is literally getting online multiplayer for a game that Xbox should own the rights to. And listen, here's the thing. This is why I preface with like, it's big news. It's big news. I'm excited to talk about it, but I, I'm not confident in my ability to analyze what's going on here because my knee-jerk reaction was there is some licensing issue with this game, and that is the reason why. And then that developed into, uh, or, or that 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 extended to me trying to look up what are other people saying. What is what kind of information is there out there that I just don't know about this IP or this game in particular that might help better. You know, fill in the understanding of what's going on here, and it seems like everyone else has the exact same interpretation and in, in, in reasoning behind what this move is all about. And then I tried to sit on it for the past two days. I've, I've honestly like tried to stop and think about it from time to time. Like, what is going on with this announcement? Why the fuck is this game not getting online multiplayer on Xbox, but it's getting online multiplayer on Switch? And uh, man, I just I really think it just boils down to some some licensing thing where Xbox is holding something over Nintendo's head and it just doesn't fully add up because Nintendo and Microsoft play so nicely with each other these days. And it's been that way for about the past five years. So listen, for those who are uninitiated and need a little bit more reminding GoldenEye 007 is a primitive console first person shooter released for the Nintendo 64. Um, I know this is going to make some people mad, but I'm going to be honest because I'm an honest person. This podcast is all about my honest takes about about video games. GoldenEye 007 is a primitive console first-person shooter released exclusively for the Nintendo 64 back in the 90s. It was developed by Rare, the guys who make Sea of Thieves, who at the time were owned by Nintendo. They were a first-party Nintendo studio. Very rare. They were European, and no pun intended. They were European, and they were Nintendo-owned. In the early 2000s, Xbox, Microsoft bought Rare from Nintendo. So now that's why Rare makes Xbox games is because Xbox owns them. But they are no longer affiliated with Nintendo. However, it's long been speculated because people love GoldenEye 007 that the reason why there's never been a remake, there's never been a proper port or whatever is has something to do with the fact that one, it's a licensed movie game, so there's like the whole there's a, the whole uh, uh, um, MGM rights for the property tied up with the video game license. Plus, it was a game that was published and made by Nintendo under a developer that is now owned by Microsoft and Xbox. So there's a lot of tricky situations with the rights between Nintendo, MGM, and Microsoft and the developer switching hands between two of those companies. So it's long been speculated that's the reason why, despite everyone's fond nostalgia for this video game, why we've never seen it brought to life again. Now, as a side note, I will put, this game is so misremembered. <laughs> GoldenEye 007 controls like absolute dog shit. Listen, I respect your nostalgia. I respect that this game means something to people. 
but this game does not fucking play well today. I cannot wait for this to come out so I can be like, yes, this game is dog shit. Now, you add a second analog stick with proper aiming, I'm sure it's much more playable than it was. Hopefully they've added some serious quality of life improvements to this game, but this this game is not what you remember. I cannot imagine this game is going to be more than more uh, fun for more than 30 minutes. And so anyway, let me get back. Let me stop being a curmudgeon and a, and a buzzkill. Let me just get back to it. So... My, the only thing that makes sense here is that Nintendo has some majority say in how this game can be remade. It, it, it comes together in the form of probably Nintendo's blessing paired with Xbox's blessing paired with a reestablishment of some kind of contractual licensing agreement with MGM. And these three parties got to get together and play nice in order for this to happen. My guess is that Nintendo has the majority say in the rights to this game somehow. They, they, it's, pro, it's probably one of those things where Xbox owns the developer, MGM, MGM owns the, the rights to the, the movie license, but Nintendo owns the publishing rights to the actual video game. So MGM can't really use anything other than the name because all they own is the IP. Xbox can't make the game because all they own is the people, the the team that that they don't own people. Xbox does not own people. Xbox owns the studio that made the game, but not the actual IP. And then Nintendo doesn't have the developer anymore, doesn't have the movie licensing rights, but has the publishing rights to the actual video game. None of this is official. This is my speculation. This is my guess. And so what you end up with is this weird thing where all three parties got to play nice. Because Nintendo has the biggest key to it all, because honestly, Nintendo could get any studio to remake this game. They don't need Rare to do it, so they don't need Xbox necessarily. You know, um, MGM doesn't need any, you know, Nintendo or Microsoft that they want to make a James Bond game. They can find a publisher or developer and strike a deal with anyone and, you know, fucking IO Interactive, the guys that make Hitman are making a James Bond game right now. You know, they don't, they don't fucking need Nintendo or Xbox's blessing. But if you want specifically this GoldenEye game, 007, this N64 game that is aged like horseshit and was never actually that fun, and once you get past the primitive age of really bad console FPSs and get to stuff like Halo when they actually start getting good on consoles, you realize this game sucks, but people still clamor for this. GoldenEye is like the number one game. I hear people who like, you know, you know that kind of game where it's like, I used to play games when I was a kid, but then I fell out of gaming because society told me gaming was for kids. And so I stopped playing games. I started like sports betting instead because that's what adults are supposed to do. And like, you know, they're, they're just like, oh, dude, I love video games. When I was a kid, we played GoldenEye. You never played GoldenEye. Do you even know what that game is? That's such an old retro game. You know, it's like it's one of those games kind of like in the realm of like fucking like Street Fighter and and like the old Super Smash Bros. It's like one of those things where people are like, oh, it's such a retro thing. I bet you don't even know about this little obscure video game called GoldenEye. It's like, okay, yeah, man, I fucking know what GoldenEye is. It sucks. Fucking sucks. But it's, it's like one of those games where it's just, there's so much nostalgia surrounding it. There's so much conversation around it. And, and, and listen, I don't mean to, even though I think the game it's probably dog shit by today's standards. I don't think this remake or this 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 uh, yeah this remake of it. I don't think it's going to be all that exceptional. I think people are going to are in for a rude awakening with how not good this game is going to be. That doesn't take away the fact that people have fond memories of it, and that the fond memories are what matters more than the game itself. And so that alone warrants or justifies this desire to bring it back in some form or fashion. I do get that, and I do respect that, and I think that's really what the struggle has been all these years. Is it's like. We know this game is dog shit, 
but people keep insisting that they want it. They're so nostalgic for it. And so what I think Nintendo is doing is they're leveraging this opportunity as an excuse to be like, hmm, let's foot the bill to Microsoft. We'll have them do the remake. We'll give them the, the rights to release it on their platform, but our platform's got to have some exclusive feature because remember, the way Nintendo announced this is they're positioning it as like a freebie, as like a bonus, as like a, a little like, if you're a subscriber of our little online Nintendo Switch subscription service, here's a little get, like a little perk for you. We're bringing back GoldenEye, you know? For Xbox, this is, you know, Xbox is so about fan service and pleasing gamers and pleasing the, the audiences with their fan service backwards compatibility, preservation of game shit that they're probably like, yeah, let's bend over backwards to make this happen. That'll be a great move for us. And MGM's probably just like, yeah, give us money so you can republish an old game you have rights to, please, you know? So I, I'm sure that's really how this ends up working. And so what that boils down to is Nintendo put the caveat on, listen, we have the publishing rights to this game. If you want to play it, you got to play by our rules. We're going to make sure Nintendo has a little a little something-something extra just to make it a little more enticing compared to the Xbox version. But at the same time, my whole assumption and, and guess and, and analysis of this, I feel like falls apart when you get to that point because Nintendo and Microsoft play so well together these days that it just doesn't seem like something Nintendo would do to Microsoft to be like, we're going to take the multiplayer mode, but you can't have it. Fuck you. Now, to be clear, they both have local multiplayer. And the game was never an online game, obviously, back in the day. Fucking N64. You kidding me? That was not an online console. They're adding online multiplayer to the Switch version, and the Xbox version isn't getting it. And obviously that matters because even though everyone's fond memories of this game were playing couch co-op or couch multiplayer, that's not how people play games anymore. We play online. You know, that's the reason why Halo doesn't genuinely need local split-screen co-op is because that's not how we fucking play games anymore. So, on the one hand, it's like, yeah, sure, Microsoft's going to try to position it. Like, we got the multiplayer that really matters. It's that local couch split-screen you're all so nostalgic for. But on the other hand, it's like, Xbox, you know, even though it's important to have that because that's what people remember... You know damn well that it's like people are going to play this game online. People are not going to be like, you know, me and my but I'm sure there will be enthusiasts and people who are like, we're going to try to make like a retro nostalgic night. We're going to bring a bunch of fucking trulies and 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 stuff over to our buddy's house, and we're going to order Domino's two for twelve, and we're going to fucking hook up some CRTV CRT TVs and play Goldeneye like it's 1999 or whatever. I you know wh whatever the case may be, I'm sure there are people going to do that, but the overwhelming majority of people who are going to experience this remake are going to play online like normal fucking human beings in the modern age, and so that's a huge miss for Xbox. It's a huge L if you want to put it that way, but at the same time. I feel like this doesn't, in the grand scheme of things, it's an optical lose for Microsoft and for Xbox. It's a little bit snobby of Nintendo, if that's really the case, that they're really withholding this ability for the Xbox version, this this feature for the Xbox version. But ultimately, I think this, this doesn't matter as much as it looks like it matters. Because I truly believe that this game is going to come out whenever it comes out next year, probably. And it's going to be like, oh yeah, <laughs> this game doesn't hold up. It's not very cool. And so it's going to be like people are people think it's cool and respectable that they even did it, that they even modernized the game and brought it to Xbox and Switch. But I don't think people are going to want to stick with this and play this. Listen, we 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 bitch and moan about Halo Infinite and all the things that are wrong with that game. I can promise you, pick up Halo Infinite, pick up GoldenEye 007 on your N64. 
uh, one of the, the both of these games are frustrating, but not for the same reason. I, I promise you, Halo Infinite ain't that bad. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I, I think once people get their hands on this, it's gonna be it's gonna be like a quick like little wave of like oh, nostalgia. I'm so retro throwback. I need to buy seven James Bond Funko Pops to prove my nostalgia, and then we're all gonna move on with life and continue to probably eat processed foods until we get diagnosed with cancer. So that's gonna be how that goes. And then. Uh, <laughs> There's one other announcement from the Nintendo Switch showcase, the what do they call it, Nintendo Direct, that is Xbox related. We won't spend nearly as much time on it, but it is another one of a uh, one of these like head scratch, what the fuck is going on moments. So again, from VGC, during Nintendo's Nintendo Direct this week, <laughs> Square Enix announced or revealed uh, Octopath Traveler 2, which has been announced and is slated for release on February 24th, 2023. The game starts eight new travelers embarking on a journey of the land of Cel- Celestia. Each traveler's path action differs between day and night in game, blah, blah, blah. Square Enix previously said that they were considering uh, classic games from its 16-bit catalog to create HD 2D remakes for. Now, this this is the funny part. Now, despite this game originally coming to Xbox after spending three years of timed exclusivity on Nintendo's Switch platform, the sequel currently is not planned to be coming to Xbox at all. In fact, the odd part is that the game will be making its way, the sequel will be making its way to PlayStation consoles for the first time. Yes, this means that both the original Octopath Traveler and its sequel will be available day one exclusively on Nintendo's console. However... This is the first. The first entry will be available on the Xbox, while the sequel will not be. Conversely, PlayStation will never will still not have access to the first title in the series, but will now have access to the second title. And as for PC players, you got both games, but who who cares about PC? Now, why is this the case? Well, simply because God thinks your tears taste good. I don't have any other explanation for this. Now, let's keep this in check. Octopath Traveler is a Square Enix game. There is something going on here with Square Enix. They, um, beginning in like the mid to late, I don't know, I'll say beginning in the Xbox 360 era, to be honest, um, Square Enix finally came around to the idea that's like, hey, maybe Xbox is like here to stay and they're legitimate. And they started supporting Xbox. Now, don't get me wrong, Square Enix has always had a strong history with Nintendo and PlayStation and never, never has Square Enix been like, we love Xbox. The closest thing we ever got to that was when Xbox did that one-year timed exclusivity deal to get that second Tomb Raider game, uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider, um, on Xbox One for a year before it could come to PlayStation. That is the one and only time we ever saw, like, whoa, Microsoft and, and uh, PlayStation are, like, partnering together. It seems like Square Enix kind of liked Microsoft a little bit when it came to, like, their Western efforts with, like, Marvel's Avengers and stuff like that. But especially now that they're starting to shed those teams and go fully back into Japanese gaming, um, it just seems like Square Enix's approach has been, fuck you, Xbox. You, you got this this beloved uh, JRPG series in Octopath Traveler, and it was a mind-blowing moment in 2021, 20, last year, I believe, when they were like, hey, Octopath Traveler's coming to Xbox. And people were like, wait, what? It's not even on PlayStation. You're bringing it to Xbox, but it's not even on PlayStation? And like, yeah. And it was like, wow, finally. Uh, not finally. Like, we don't want to withhold stuff from PlayStation players. But, like, I it, it was surprising to see that there was... A Japanese role-playing game by Square Enix of all of all publishers that was going to be on Xbox but not PlayStation, and it 
you know, not in a huge way, but in a little bit of a way, kind of was like a gesture, a little bit of a nod in, in a way of saying like, hey, we're sorry that Final Fantasy 16 and Final Fantasy 7 Remake are only for PlayStation and we said fuck you to Xbox. It was kind of like a little something. But now they're like, no, fuck you, Xbox. We're making a sequel. It's coming to PlayStation, even though PlayStation players don't have the first game. And uh, you're not getting shit, Xbox. So, I don't know, man. This is another one of those, like, does Square Enix just fucking hate Xbox at this point? Square Enix just want Xbox to die and, and go and go just hide in a hole. Like, I don't understand what's going on here. Final Fantasy VII Remake, you promised it for Xbox, and then you just fucking went quiet on it forever. Final Fantasy 16, you announced it as a PlayStation exclusive, and we're not getting it. Um, oh, also, what's that other game they're about to release that has like the super cringy writing, but the gameplay actually looks really good? Forspoken, that's a that's another Square Enix game comes out next year, not coming to Xbox, PlayStation exclusive. Octopath Traveler, um, just all these that what Ogre Tactics, all these PlayStation or, or um, Square Enix games that are like re, being remade, remastered, ported over, brand new titles, brand new franchises, brand new IP. All for PlayStation, and then you know they played nice with Nintendo as well. Some for some for Nintendo, all for PlayStation. Fuck you, Xbox. And it sucks because Xbox is obviously aggressively trying to get more of that Japanese uh, market and trying to be a more serious contender in that market. But they're also you know while gaining traction with Sega and with all these other big Japanese publishers and stuff. They're they're in Koei Tecmo and 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 uh, all whatever it's like uh, what, Bandai Namco. They just continue to be doing okay with a lot of these Japanese publishers and developers. And then with Square Enix, they're just fucking abandoning the platform. <laughs> you know, Final Fantasy thirteen, Final Fantasy fourteen, yeah, right, and fifteen, all on Xbox, and all their sequels, all on Xbox. Final Fantasy Zero, Final Fantasy Seven, not the remake one, but just the port, all on Xbox. But now they're suddenly just like, nah, fuck you, Xbox. So, oh well, I guess. But this doesn't fare well for Xbox and their efforts to try and get in with these Japanese publishers and try and make their platform legitimate to the Japanese market. It's just not a good look, and it's it's really shitty. Like it sucks for everyone. Like PlayStation players are now going to be like. Uh, thanks, I guess. I didn't play the first one because you didn't put it on this platform, but okay. And then Xbox players are going to be like, what the fuck? Why don't we get this? So I don't know if maybe down the road the plan will be to eventually release the first game on PlayStation and the second game on Xbox at some point, but for now, this is a shit move. <laughs> and that's it for Nintendo. So yeah, I didn't think we could talk about a Nintendo Direct. That was so Xbox-centric, but uh, there, there we are. So that was the first of four big events we had to talk about. The next one was actually PlayStation's event. PlayStation had a surprise State of Play event on, when was it, Tuesday? And it was pretty damn good. It was about 20 minutes of really good game announcements for the most part. Pretty much everything they showed looked good. Except for the first game that they announced because I don't care about this game. But we will mention it because it is coming to Xbox. They kicked off with mention in a reveal trailer for Tekken 8 is officially happening. We've been talking about it, the rumors, the leaks, all that. We knew it was coming. They were teasing it. But Tekken 8 has officially been announced. First gameplay premiere trailer is available now, shown during the PlayStation State of Play event. The gameplay shows off Jin versus Kazuya fighting on the side of a volcano. There's no release date yet, but Tekken 8 will launch on Xbox Series X, S, and PC. 
I have nothing to say to this. I just don't like legitimate fighting games. They're just not my thing. They don't. They, they bore me to death. Um, no offense. I know there's a huge market for these games. I know people really love these games and are excited for them. But Street Fighter, Tekken, Soul Calibur, fucking all this stuff. The anime ones, like some of those anime ones, are like like Blaze Blue and shit. I, I like. I kind of dig the art style and stuff of those. But for the most part, you know, with the exception of like Blaze Blue or Marvel vs. Capcom, like. I just I can't find anything about this genre that speaks to me, so it would be disingenuous for me to just be like, "Oh yeah, Tekken A looks cool." Like the graphics look good, the art style looks good, but it just I don't care. And everything else they showed at the event, I was pretty keen on. So uh, the next thing they showed, and this is probably the thing I was most hyped about, the y- Yakuza spinoff, like a Dragon Ishin, uh, will be released in February of 2023. So just a few months on PlayStation consoles and on xbox the upcoming game is a remake of a previously japanese only ryuga godoku game uh which is called ryuga godoku ishin in japan which stands for like a dragon ishin i don't know what ishin means it was originally released for playstation 3 and ps4 back in 2014 and was set during the mid 1800s with players taking the role of real life samurai sakamoto ryoma so unlike other yakuza games uh, or games by Ryuga Godoku. This is not a Yakuza game. It's not set in like a modern or recent era of some fictionalized version of Tokyo or or um, Saka or anything like that. It is like an old 1800 samurai Japanese game, which is fucking awesome. The game looks so good. The trailer was so awesome. The combat looks fucking frantic and excellent. I, I hack and slash fucking samurai combat. I'm all for it, especially with that arcadey feel that these games have. I think this game is going to be so fun. I cannot wait to play it. Um, yeah, David Hines, Sega of America's global community manager, wrote in a PlayStation blog post accompanying the announcement, Like a Dragon Ishin is an action-adventure historical thriller set uniquely in 1860s Kyo, a fictionalized version of Kyoto. While other games tell earlier stories in Japanese history, Ishin lets you experience the story of how the iconic samurai era vanished. Our hero, Sakamoto Ryoma, is the true historical figure largely credited with overthrowing the Shug- uh, the Shogun Nate uh, in taking Japan into a radical reformation. Uh, I, I I just gotta say first of all, like let me let me pause. Yes, I am a I am a, a shill for a, uh, what is the term? I'm a stan for the Yakuza franchise. I think the series is so goddamn good. But I, I just gotta say, y- yes, I'm excited that we're getting this in the West finally. But like, holy fuck, that synopsis sounds so cool. That's such a such a fun idea. It's basically like the Red Dead Redemption kind of like arc, but in Japanese samurai culture instead. Uh, plus, it based on the historical figure. And I, I just think this sounds so cool. Ryu Gaigotoku Kenzen was a historical spinoff of the main Yakuza series released back in 2008 for the PlayStation 3. It's set in historical Japanese from the early 1600s and follows Japanese swordsman Miyamoto Musashi. This is, will be the first time the game has been brought to the West. For the first time, Xbox players will get a chance to experience the title. Ishin is now one of three Yakuza titles that will have been announced ahead of Tokyo Game Show, which will happen in about a week here. In addition to Like a Dragon 8, which was announced in Like a Dragon Ga- uh, Ga- Gaiden. I always say Gaiden, but some people say Gaiden. I don't know. Um, like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who erased his name. Like a Dragon 8 will come out in 2024 and see the return of Ichiban and series favorite Kirusan, while Like a Dragon Gaiden should be coming in 2023 and tell the story of the events that happened between Yakuza's 6 and 7. Now, for all of you who don't play Yakuza and don't know uh, any Japanese or anything, uh, I'm not saying I know Japanese, I'm just familiar with some of these names and words because I play these games. Um, 
I know that sounds like a lot of gibberish to you. You're probably like, what the fuck did he just say? But just know this. You haven't played a Yakuza game yet, and you call yourself a gamer, especially if you've never played a Yakuza game and you claim to be a nostalgic person for James Bond 007 N64, no fucking Z or no fucking Y access bullshit. Fuck you. No, what is that? It has No, no, no. It has What is it? It has it has Y access. It has no X access. Fuck that game, dude. No vertical axis. You can't aim up and down that game, I think. It's just left and right, right? Am I remembering that correctly? Or do you aim directionally with the fucking C buttons? I don't remember. Who cares? Game sucks, dude. Play Like a Dragon. Play Yakuza. I haven't even played Like a Dragon yet. I'm still on Yakuza 3. I'm on my fourth game this series because Yakuza 0, 1, 2, 3. Guys, this series is so fucking good, and it continues to get better and better, and I'm overwhelmed with how many seri- series entries there are, there are and how, how many they have on the way. But at the same time, this is one of the rare things where it's like we're getting so much. of This is like, I imagine, this is how like the last 10 Star Wars fans in existence feel about Disney Plus getting a new Star Wars show every time you blink your eyes. It's like, oh my god, more Star Wars. I can't wait to buy more Funko Pops. It's like, that's how I feel right now about Yakuza. I'm like, oh my god, more Yakuza. Keep it coming, baby. Let me buy some fucking anime titty action figurines based on uh, Kiru-san, even though he's a guy who doesn't have anime titties. But fuck you, I'll put him on there anyway, because this game is so damn good. This series is phenomenal. Phenomenal. It's fun. It is frantic. It is comedic. It is also emotional. It is story-driven and beautiful. It is zany and wacky. You can dick off and have a great time. You can play it straightforward and be serious and have a great time. You can play insanely fun mini games that are stupid fleshed out like karaoke and golf and bowling and batting practice for no goddamn reason. It's really goddamn good. It feels like the best third-person RPG open-world game you've ever played mixed with your favorite arcade game from like the Sega Dreamcast era, but in the best way. I don't understand how it happens, but Ryu Gai Gotoku has become simply one of the best developers, in my opinion. They are just making the coolest fucking games. They make insanely detailed, fully fleshed out games with tons of content, but not overbloated. Not like fucking Skyrim or 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 uh, what's that game? Cyberpunk, where they're like five hundred hours of side quests that end up being boring after the fucking thirtieth hour. Like not that shit. I'm saying like these games are super detailed, fully fleshed out, long, big package games. But they're so thoughtfully done. Like, all the content that's in them is, like, thoughtful and fun to play and actually, like, enticing. And the story is gripping, but the combat's fun. Like, how the hell does that work? I'm so used to, like, PlayStation games where it's like, yeah, the gameplay is kind of boringish. Like, Uncharted or Last of Us. Like, Like, Uncharted and The Last of Us are, like, the pinnacle of production quality and storytelling and acting in video games. It's just mind-blowing how good those games are. But, like... The gameplay is like really like like boring. It's like eh, it's like kind of run run of the mill gameplay. Or then you play like a fucking I don't know. Then you play like one of these like third party like try to be serious type games like like Tomb Raider. Conversely, like Tomb Raider, these new Tomb Raider games are so fun. The gameplay is super good, you know. But the 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 writing, the storytelling is really solid. But it's nothing to write home about. It's not like life changing or anything. It's not experiential in any super convincing way. It's just it it just is what it is. But no, 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 Yakuza, the shit, I mean, they reuse assets like crazy. The graphics are not even close to the best. Don't get me wrong. But they, the, the, their usage of good storytelling and fun gameplay together is like, God, it's like crack cocaine, man. It's so good. Play Yakuza, play Yakuza. If you haven't played Yakuza, you should stop what you're doing and play with Yakuza. If you're too busy raising a family, abandon them. If you're too busy trying to save to buy a home one day in our ever-inflated market, 
Don't buy one. Play Yakuza instead. Subscribe to Game Pass. If you're trying against all odds to reach prestige level 10 or whatever the max prestige is in Call of Duty these days, fucking quit what you're doing. Download Yakuza 0, where it all started, baby, and have the time of your life. This series is so good. All right, next up, Bandai Namco revealed a new game. For this, uh, obviously for PlayStation because it's a PlayStation event, but it will also be available on Xbox Series X and S and PC. It is a third-person shooter called Sin Duality. This game looks awesome. Announced during the State of Play live stream this week, the sci-fi shooter has players embarking on a dystopian journey where, with a Magus, uh, your AI partner, and exploring the post-apocalyptic world of um, Amasia, Amasia, I don't know, according to its developer. Quote, armed with your mech, Compete for resources, avoid the rain, and reclaim the ground humanity has lost. In a future where humans and AIs must find a way to work together, Bandai Namco has partnered with the prominent designers Nako for character designing and Goyuba for merch for mech designing to bring their sci-fi style to the game, producer Yosuke Futami wrote. Sin Duality is scheduled to release in 2023, although no firm date has been given. This game looks so good, guys. I cannot stress this enough. This game looks fucking badass mechs but also kind of frantic and fun action third person combat zany and japanese as hell but it's like super like sci-fi and futuristic and techie but also a little bit post-apocalyptic and it looks so fun i i I genuinely am stupid excited for this game and it's crazy dude it's like here we go again sony had a very japanese developer centric state of play and it's just like look at what all these awesome Japanese developers are working on. Go back to Gamescom a few weeks ago. Look at what all these really interesting European developers are working on. So many really cool marriages of like excellent looking gameplay with cool, interesting worlds and story, unique ideas. And then you go over to the the the, the American, the North American. I'm, I'm including you to Canada, uh, the, the North American developers, and they're just like, it's a Star Wars game, man. We're making a Star Wars game, and you can play as a Funko Pop Star Wars, and you can buy DLC, and seven seasons of content a month. And I'm like, oh my god, why is everybody out? Do- Listen, man, I, I'm not trying to. Sh- I, I understand. American game developers, especially like West Coast-centric game developers, have propelled and inspired and accelerated uh, in advanced game development and our understanding of our medium in such amazing and important ways. I don't, you know, look at fucking Zelda Breath of the Wild. It's a goddamn Nintendo game that was influenced by Western RPGs like Skyrim. Like, uh, like I, I, I get the importance, but I feel like right now, these Japanese developers... These, these European developers, they're really showing us up. They're like, hey, we can make a game that's not another fucking Marvel game. We can make a game that's not another sequel to a game that we don't really, you know, eh, whatever. I don't know. I, I I think this game looks so unique. It's so cool. It's so compelling. You know, I, I'm used to an era where I'm like, oh, uh, look, it's another Japanese game that looks really cool, but it's just a JRPG or some kind of RPG something or other or some kind of RPG. <laughs> I'm like, ah, no thanks. I'm good. But nope, this game looks fucking badass. Like, God, this combat looks so cool. The mechs look cool. I, I'm excited for this game. I want to get into it. I uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to say other than this is a day one purchase for me. The name's a little lame. I guess I could say that, but who cares? I, I just, I don't know. I, I can't tell if... Um... Now, there's a rumor. There's there's a little, a little... Not rumor, I won't say. But there is speculation, and I'm inclined to wonder if there's any truth to this. That maybe there's some, um, if you remember um, that that Bandai Namco game that came out the other last year, 
uh, Scarlet Nexus that maybe there's a little bit of Scarlet Nexus coming in here, which is kind of it's kind of like uh, I don't know like techy sci-fi um psych psycho not psychedelic but like um uh, whatever i i can't find the words i don't know what i'm trying to say but there's it seems to be a little bit of that dna in here and i i kind of see it as well um fucking love scarlet nexus i love that game so much last year was one of the most pleasantly surprising unique games i'd played last year and uh dude i just i don't know i just want cool new shit and i just feel like we're getting it <laughs> we're getting it from all these other developers around the world right now and uh dude keep your eyes on sin duality if you have not seen the gameplay reveal trailer check this shit out it looks badass uh next up another really good looking game we saw rise of ronin which is a new a new playstation 5 console exclusive being developed by team ninja now you might be saying jesse why are you talking about playstation console exclusive those surely won't be on xbox yes it won't be on xbox unfortunately this game looks awesome it won't be on xbox but the reason i want to mention it is because Team Ninja is the developer. Team Ninja is also currently working on a game called Wolong Fallen Dynasty. It was announced this summer. Uh, it was marketed as an Xbox title. It is a day one Game Pass game. And it is coming to PlayStation as well. But it was marketed and announced with Xbox. So it seemed like, oh, Xbox is striking up some partnership a little bit here with uh, with uh, with Team Ninja. Kind of like in the old days when they did Ninja Gaiden. Okay, cool. But... Now we got another game they're work, working on, this Rise of Ronin game, which also looks awesome. And instead of this one being marketed and associated with a PlayStation, it's just exclusive to PlayStation. I only mention this to say, I feel like we're seeing, and I don't mean to like dig up the controversy, but this reminds me of the Jim Ryan inadequate, you know, Call of Duty for three more years minimum. It's in, It's inadequate. I can't help but feel like what we're seeing constantly is, PlayStation getting involved, PlayStation get intervening. I, I feel like this game is probably exclusive to PlayStation because PlayStation probably paid for exclusivity. Xbox paid, you know, with, with Woe Long Fallen Dynasty. Sure, Xbox paid to get that game in Game Pass, but they're not paying to keep it off of PlayStation. PlayStation keeps doing this. I wonder if the reason why we're not getting Octopath Traveler 2 is because they paid Square Enix to make sure Xbox didn't get it. Much like we're not getting Final Fantasy 16 because PlayStation is help, helping fund the game. It's just one of these things where it's like, don't fucking come to me and tell me about an inadequate deal with Microsoft and Call of Duty on your platform when we just keep seeing time and time after again where it's just like, hmm, new game, PlayStation exclusive from a developer or a publisher that often works well with Xbox. Why? So, a little salty, because Rise of Ronin looks a lot more like Ninja Gaiden-style Team Ninja game, where it's like fast, frantic, difficult hack-and-slash combat, whereas Wolong, for as good as I think that game looks, it's a lot more of like a Neo-style Team Ninja game, and like Souls-type, a little more RPG, methodical combat, dancing kind of game, and I'm excited to try Wolong, but I'm not confident that it'll be my cup of tea, so... A little salty all around about this Rise of Ronin announcement. Nonetheless, if you are a PlayStation player, if you own a PlayStation, you might want to look out for this because this game looks really good. And that's it for the PlayStation uh, State of Play event as far as Xbox-affiliated games um, go. Now, next up, this was the one I thought was going to be the biggest event of the week, um, but it ended up being, in my opinion, maybe the least interesting or for me personally it was the least interesting so the ubisoft forward event we will fly through this because i just really am not enthusiastic about anything we got from this event but first i want to interject this uh this new story of the week which is also ubisoft centric i think now would be a good time to bring it up 
So Ubisoft said, following in the footsteps of other major publishers, that by raising the price, they're raising the price of some of their games to seventy bucks. As previously confirmed, the publisher's first seventy dollars release is the new gen console versions of November's Skull and Bones. Oh, how ballsy of you to charge seventy bucks for that! A game which won't be available for last gen systems. So fuck you, it's a seventy dollars game. And in an interview with Axios, Ubisoft CEO Yves Gilmont said that the price point would now be the norm for the publisher's big Series X and S and PS5 games going forward. In August of 2020, Take-Two's NBA 2K11 came out as the first current-gen game to be priced at 70 bucks. Other companies followed suit, including Activision, Sony, EA, Square Enix, and the Final Fantasy publisher, even bringing an increased price point to some of its PC games. Ubisoft said that year in 2020 that it was undecided about whether or not it would pursue new software pricing opportunities, but its stance had since shifted. Quote, some of the games will come with the same price of the competition. Gilmont told Axios, the big AAA games will come at 70 bucks. Ubisoft's newly announced Assassin's Creed Mirage, which we're about to get into, which was billed as a smaller scale game for a recent series entry, is priced at 50 bucks for Series X and S ahead of its cross-gen release in 2023. So we see Ubisoft finally jump in the $70 bandwagon. They were trying to stay out. I think they probably saw, you know, in 2020, that was... Just at the console launch, I think they probably thought it would be a very attractive and alluring thing for them if consumers, you know, were looking at the market. They're like, oh, man, games are now $70 instead of 60 and they're looking at, you know, the new NBA game, the new fucking Miles Morales this, although Miles Morales I think was less than 70 because it was a spinoff title. You know, whatever. They're looking at all the new games from the biggest publishers, and they're like, ah, man, all these games are 70 bucks now. Oh, but look. The new Ubisoft games, those are still 60. Oh, what is this? Assassin's Creed Valhalla, uh, Watch Dogs Legion. Oh, these are these are 60 bucks instead of 70. And I thought I, I think they were thinking that might be attractive to set themselves apart from the competition, it might make their games sell and look better. For sure. I'm, I, it probably did. But I think fast forward two years, now we're in this economic situation we're in. They can't afford to be. We're about to get into it. Ubisoft is just they're kind of dropping the ball. They're kind of struggling a little bit. And I, I think you know, with the, the inflation, the rising cost of development, and just how incredibly long it's been since game prices have changed at all. I, I mean, $70, listen, I know people don't want to hear it. I know a lot of people are like, $70 is bullshit. I don't I celebrate the price increase of anything. You know, if games could be $50 forever more or whatever, like, sure, that's great. You know, more money in my pocket. I love that. But at the same time, I understand the economic realities here. And it's, you know, it's the argument I made before. If, if you get a $70 game instead of a $50 or $60 game, maybe you get less microtransactions. Maybe you get a more fleshed out, complete project that doesn't feel the need to try and force multiplayer and other unnecessary shit down your throat. Whereas if, if, if we just do $70, you know, maybe we can, publishers can feel a little more confident and bullish in the development costs of their games, take a little more risk. We got to dude. like games went from 50 to 60 bucks in like 2005. Okay. That was a long ass time ago. The value of the dollar has has changed quite a bit. Inflation has impacted our economic situation quite a bit to where the extra 10 bucks, unfortunately, is warranted, you know? And I understand like Kronky has pushed and railed on me with this before where he's like, well, you know how publishers are. They can use the excuse that we need to raise it from 60 to 70 so we can keep things like microtransactions out of our games because we need to make the money up somehow. But they'll still just do both. You know, what's stopping them from raising the price and putting microtransactions in? To which I say, completely valid point, fair point, but I genuinely believe 
that this has mostly to do with the ga- the price of gaming needing to go up. These 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 are massive investments things for these studios, especially these AAA games. And just to just to assume that they're going to continue to eat more and more of a loss on the cost of development as inflation continues to rise and rise and rise. It just it just it's not economically sound for us as consumers to expect that to continue on. I'm not saying I celebrate games costing me more money, but I am saying I understand and I'm realistic and rational enough to accept the financial reality of where we're headed and what what's going on. So is it surprising? No. Is it necessarily a terrible thing? I, I don't really think so. Um, you know, is it not great that games now cost more money? Yeah, I guess not. But in the grand scheme of things, I just remember how like, Gaming is such a relatively affordable hobby. Like, I think about, I mean, you guys know I'm always looking for an excuse to talk about theme parks. Like, I don't know, man. Compared to my other hobbies, gaming's pretty damn cheap. <laughs> 60 bucks for Splatoon last week was a lot better deal than, uh, you know, going to Disney and fucking eating a, going to a restaurant at Disney and, and spending $150 on an otherwise $80 valued meal or something like that. You know, it's just, there are, there are more expensive hobbies to have in this world. I find gaming to be incredibly accessible and um, reasonably priced, so I, I don't know. I just don't take too much issue with this on a personal level. Of course, if you asked me when I was nine years old, I might I might have a bigger bigger gripe, bigger axe to grind. All right, let's talk about the Ubisoft Forward event. So they talked about a bunch of games, but mostly it was it was Assassin's Creed focused. So uh, let's talk about in order Assassin's Creed Mirage. This is the one that was teased, announced recently. It's been leaking like crazy. It's the Assassin's Creed game. That is coming out next year in 2023, although they didn't date it. I thought they would. Um, it's being led by Ubisoft Bordeaux as the development team. Uh, they are the guys behind the Wrath of the Druids expansion for Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Now, Mirage is described as a special tribute to the first Assassin's Creed game, which is now 15 years old. Uh, as expected, the game will be set in 9th century Baghdad at the peak of its golden age, which I think is a really cool setting. Quote, it offers a narrative-driven action-adventure experience with an intriguing coming-of-age storyline, charismatic protagonists, and majestic open city modernized legacy gameplay focused on parkour, stealth, and assassinations said Ubisoft. Mirage has also reportedly attempted to recreate the crowd density of 2014's Assassin's Creed Unity, which, as you may remember, was plagued with some technical performance issues. Now, hopefully, with our modern consoles and modern hardware, that won't be so much an issue. Uh, The game took place, of course, during the French Revolution and featured a massive number of NPCs on screen at once. Assassin's Creed Mirage is set to release on Xbox consoles 1, S, and X, and PC through the Epic Games Store and Ubisoft Store next year, although we don't have a date. Again, I have so little to say. You guys know I'm not a big Assassin's Creed guy. I think Assassin's Creed looks cool. I will admit that this Assassin's Creed kind of has my interest a little bit just because it's this is a series that like anyone who knows anything about Assassin's Creed has just watched it veer further and further off from its origins. And to see it kind of like get in touch with its roots a little bit in terms of its setting, in terms of its gameplay style, there is something kind of alluring about that for a $50 little like spin-off like kind of roots uh, game. I I, th- I think this is kind of cool. I assume long long time Assassin's Creed fans will probably be really pleasant or not pleasantly. Will be really eager to give this game a go. I'm sure this will be a fun, nostalgic yet fami- familiar yet new kind of experience. So I, I think it's a cool idea. Now next up, they showed Assassin's Creed Red and Assassin's Creed Hex. Now they didn't show these. This is really more they were talking about the Assassin's Creed roadmap, what they're planning on doing next. Uh, so <laughs> these are the games they're working on down the road, uh, standalone tiles, multiplayer tiles, whatever they, um, so yeah, basically these are their next two flagship 
Assassin's Creed games. These are not little spin-off $50 games that are a throwback to the old-style Assassin's Creed. These are the next $70 AAA full-fledged Assassin's Creed games like Valhalla or like um, Odyssey or whatever. Um, so the next one is called, a- after Mirage, the next two games are called Assassin's Creed Red or In Hex. Now, these are code names, so the names are probably going to change. But they will release as part of the new Infinity Franchise Hub, a live service initiative announced last year. So basically, as we understand it, this is going to work some like you launch Assassin's Creed Infinity. It is your hub app of Assassin's Creed. And within that app, you will buy new Assassin's Creed games that they launch and develop into it. And so Red and Hex will be two of the games in Assassin's Creed Infinity, if that makes sense. Now... Red, which is being made by the Odyssey, Assassin's Creed Odyssey developer, Ubisoft Quebec, um, has the same creative director and is the next big Valhalla-like flagship title set in feudal Japan. Yes, you heard that right. Finally, Assassin's Creed is making the long-rumored, long-begged-for feudal Japan set Assassin's Creed game. A little too little too late because we finally got Ghost of Tsushima on PlayStation, but I digress. It begins with Ubisoft calling it a period uh, period three in the Assassin's Creed series, meaning that it is unlikely to be a 2024 game. Probably going to be a little while. Uh, quote, while we're announced dates a little bit later, but we wanted to make sure the change in techno- technologically gameplay-wise as we're moving to fully next-gen, our current gen, I guess we call it, with the PS5 and Series X, Series boss Mark Alexis uh, Coat told VGC, future Assassin's Creed games interview. The second flagship title we announced on the roadmap is codenamed Hex. This game is being made by Ubisoft Montreal, the guys behind Watch Dogs Legion and Far Cry 2, led by Clint Hawking as a creative director. Details are thin, but it appears to have a horror slant. As Coat told VGC, it would provide a different experience in terms of gameplay and game structure. Assassin's Creed Invictus is a standalone multiplayer game that brings together multiplayer specialists drawn from the talent of For Honor and Rainbow Six Siege developers. Fuck off. And then finally, Ubisoft has announced um, a codename Jade, which is a AAA action RPG adventure mobile title um, set in ancient China. Players will be able to create their own character and discover the story of the first Assassin's Creed, the first Assassins in China. It will be a free-to-play game. Oh, well, who cares about that? Now, listen, it's clear to see what Ubisoft's doing with Assassin's Creed. I I will say, as someone who doesn't really care for Assassin's Creed, there's sometimes where the series gets my attention a little bit. Assassin's Creed 3 looked really cool with that, like, American Civil War, or not American Civil War, American Revolutionary War setting. I thought that seemed really cool, like, ripe for cool storytelling. And I wanted to get into that game. I just never did. Um, But I I have always waited for that feudal Japan Assassin's Creed game that everyone's waiting for because I'm pretty sure just the setting alone will sell me on it. So mark my words now, we're probably years away from it coming out, but this is the first Assassin's Creed game I think I'm probably going to jump into and give it a try. I'm definitely interested to go at it. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see that whenever they're ready to show it. But it's clear what they're doing with Assassin's Creed, I think. This Infinity Project, it's basically Ubisoft's way of saying, like, listen, we try a lot of IP and they don't really always work out. Assassin's Creed's been a consistently high-performing game, and we think it's versatile. It's it's variety of characters, it's variety of settings, it's, it's proven variety of genres with open-world action RPG games versus more linear third-person, or, yeah, third-person 
parkour, platforming, adventure, stealth, whatever games that the original games were made for, the pirate combat shit from like Assassin's Creed 4, all these kinds of things. I think they see Assassin's Creed as a very virtual, uh, virtual, as a very versatile franchise. And so they're treating it, I think, kind of the way they treat Tom Clancy, where they're like, yeah, we can just make anything with guns and shit and call it Tom Clancy at this point. And I, I think they want to do that with Assassin's Creed. They just want Assassin's Creed to become a name that doesn't even mean anything just so that they can have that name recognition that sells the product. And then go make whatever you want. Go make an open world Japanese action RPG game. Go make a fucking horror game uh, that has some loose tie into the Assassin's Creed brand name so you can sell it. That's what Hex looks like it's going to be. And it's kind of cool because these projects sound interesting on their own in their own right. But it's kind of frustrating because it's like clearly these aren't Assassin's Creed games. You're just shoehorning the Assassin's Creed IP into it so you can sell it. And I don't know. It's, it's You know, we all want original IP. But when they're playing this vague and this loose with like what makes something an Assassin's Creed title, I guess in a way this is kind of having your cake and eating it too because it's like, look, it's name recognition. It says Assassin's Creed on the box. But it's like what is Assassin's Creed fucking 2 – have in common with Assassin's Creed Hex, which is going to be some, like, ambitious horror project, you know? Like, what does is, what is Assassin's Creed Black Flag have in common with some massive open-world uh, Japanese feudal, like, game with fucking, in contrast to, like, Pirates, linear third-person parkour game? Like, it's just, we're getting to this point where it's just like, what even is Assassin's Creed? I think that's the point. They just want to be able to make the games they want to make and sell copious amounts of copies, and they think attaching the Assassin's Creed name will do it. But if you'll remember, this is kind of contradictory because back in the day, Assassin's Creed was an annual franchise. And in 2016, they announced they, they did Assassin's Creed Syndicate, and they're like, hey, there's some serious Assassin's Creed fatigue. Our sales are slowing down. After 2016's Assassin's Creed Syndicate, don't ask me why I remember that year and that title. I don't know. Uh, but they said after that one, they were going to take a break. And so they took a break from Assassin's Creed for a while. And when they came back, they did Assassin's Creed Odyssey and Origins and Valhalla. And people loved them because it, it was a reinvention of the of the franchise. It was a big open world game. It was an action RPG. Um, it, it, a little bit of time had passed. So people were like a little bit ready for the Assassin's Creed brand. It was, it was cool. It was different, right? And now it just feels like they're falling down the same trap now because they're like, ah, fuck you. Here's Assassin's Creed out the ass. You can't get away from Assassin's Creed. But it feels like this time they think they can get away with it simply because they're like, well, these games are drastically different from one another. They're not all just the next Assassin's Creed. They're very unique games. So I guess, but I just can't be bothered outside of that. Otherwise, they showed updates on Skull and Bones, a new trailer, a new trailer for Just Dance 2023, which is coming out on November 22nd. They showed a new trailer for Division Heartland, which we still don't know much about. And they showed a... Uh, oh, yeah, they showed that uh, they're partnering with Konami to bring Simon Belmont from Castlevania into Brawlhalla on October 19th. So that was the Ubisoft event. It was very underwhelming. Not a whole lot that really piqued my interest at all. Just uh, kind of interesting to see what they're doing with Assassin's Creed and see how that's going to work for them. I, and, uh, again, Ubisoft is they're kind of struggling these days. They're a little bit on the on the edge with like the you guys are pushing it too much. So I hope it I hope it goes well for them. All right, and finally, there was the Disney and Marvel gaming panel, which took place this weekend during the D23 Expo. This one's a little surreal to me because I've actually been to D23 before, and um, I don't know. I went as like such a Disney fan, like oh, I want to see like theme park shit. And it's weird that like over the years, it's just grown and grown into like fuck it. Disney is National Geographic and Fox and 
video games and Star Wars and all this shit. It's like, I don't, I don't get this, you know? Like, this is an event people used to go to because they're like, oh, theme parks and Disney World and Mickey Mouse. And now it's like, oh, yeah, show me that next uh, Black Panther video game. It's like, what the fuck is happening? But nonetheless, um, Disney and Marvel had a gaming panel. It was pretty legit. They had, um, they had like, actual, like, games industry figureheads, like, involved in it and hosting it and stuff. It was kind of a somewhat legitimate gaming thing, although it was mostly pretty underwhelming with what they had to talk about. However, the first game definitely was really exciting for me, so let's get into that. But first, a comment. Sam Torres writes in and says, I began today with a D23 gameplay showing of Disney Speedstorm, Gameloft's carding game. I bet you thought I was going to say combo. The gameplay looked okay, but a little soulless compared to the trailer. If the mul- if the nutty verse exists, I hope those worlds with Disney Infinity Toy Box Racer 5.0 are alive and well and happy uh, and casually seeing Speedstorm as a sad possibility of Disney selling off its gaming division. Also, a Ron DeSantis dick, dick skin would be a great pre-order bonus for a Call of Duty game on PlayStation. Your marketing genius point for Blue Team. Uh, <laughs> okay, thank you, uh, Sam Torres, for writing in. Always appreciate your uh, funny comments. Now, yeah, man, I, I uh, so, yeah, they showed off Disney Speedstorm, so I guess we'll talk about that first. We don't have to get into it much because they announced this game months ago, and the game actually had a beta already or an alpha. I don't remember which one. I've played this game. I, I, I joined the beta. Uh, I played it maybe two or three months ago. I thought I played it on stream. I don't remember. Maybe I did. Uh, but, yeah, I've played this game. I played, like, an hour of it on Steam. I was not impressed. I, I actually thought this game looked kind of decent. Like, I was optimistic about it. I love kart racers, and it's kind of weird that they're trying to do, like, this more mature art style on, like, Disney characters. But um, the game looked fun, and I played it, and it's just, yeah, it feels soulless. That's the perfect way to say it. Just There's just a charm that is completely not there. And, yeah, you're right. It, it's it's all this Gameloft shit, dude. Gameloft is just making all these Disney games on iPhone and shit. And now they're expanding the console. And they're making Disney games on Xbox. And that Dreamlight Valley game just came out. And it's actually surprisingly pretty decent. But, like, for the most part, you play one of these Gameloft Disney games and you feel that you're playing some glorified mobile game. You don't feel like you're playing a genuinely, like, cared-for, thought-out game with the with various Disney licenses attached. And I, I miss that shit, dude. Disney Disney sold off their gaming division. They disbanded Avalanche, and then WB picked them up, and that's why they're making Hogwarts Legacy now. But, yeah, I mean, the world is not a better place with, with Disney just completely exiting the game's development and publishing business. And we see it in stuff like that. I think usually when, when we see these more directly Disney IP-related games like Pixar and Disney characters. We just get these weak fucking glorified mobile games. And there are exceptions here and there. But for the most part, it's so disappointing. And then when you want to get like something that's super AAA or actually like interesting, it's like these fucking developers and publishers only want to work with Marvel and Star Wars. And it's just so disheartening. But luckily, I think there were some silver linings this this show. Uh... Predominantly with that first announcement, which is, of course, the thing that got me the most hyped. You guys know how I love Tron, so let's get into it. VGC reports, Bithel Games, yep, the British studio behind Thomas Was Alone and John Wick Hex, has announced a new game set in Disney's Tron universe. Announced during a Disney game showcase on Friday, Tron identifies, sorry, Tron Identity is described as a visual novel adventure following Query, a detective program tasked with uncovering a mystery, a, a mystery theft. 
According to Disney, Tron Identity is a new extension of the Tron franchise, which has players unlocking never-before-seen uh, server filled with new original programs to join forces or to oppose. For or, or sorry, join forces with or oppose. Quote. In a new grid forgotten by its creators and left alone to evolve without users' intervention, an unprecedented crime has been committed. The game's synopsis reads, The repository stands at the center of the society. In the aftermath of a break-in, the future of the grid hangs in the balance. According to Bithel Games, the decision... Uh, the decisions players make will actively influence the story with a multitude of possible outcomes, good and bad, all depending on your carefully chosen words. It adds, you'll interact with a number of intriguing characters uh, and decide whether or not to ally with them, spur them, or even derez them. However, you choose to deal with them, you'll, ne you'll need to recover their lost memories if you search for answers. Puzzling your way through def defragging identity disks, the world of Tron is growing and your adventure is the seed. Now, I know this game doesn't sound incredibly like, whoa, it's so exciting, but first of all, I'm a massive Tron fan. So the fact that we are getting a new original video game set in the Tron universe is like, whoa, <laughs> like I'll take, I don't care what it is. I don't care if this is a fucking wiener sucking simulator. Like I want this Tron game. I don't care who's making it, what it is. And luckily it's actually pretty fucking cool. First of all, I like visual novels. You know, is a visual novel my ideal Tron game? No. But I love storytelling in the Tron universe and visual novels. That's what they're great at. And I'm really looking forward to this game. I think this game looks awesome. Now, it's set to come out sometime next year. And I, it's, I, the thing I want to take away here is I was just bitching about based on the comment from Sam Torres and the reality of where we're at. You know, because Avalanche is no longer owned by Disney, Disney doesn't publish and develop games in-house. We don't get cool shit like Disney Infinity. We don't get cool shit like the Toy Story 3 or the Cars 2 movie game. We don't get any of that fun stuff anymore. These really creative, really fun, really fleshed out, all ages kinds of games based on Disney properties. It's gone because God hates us and he thinks our tears taste good. But what we do get are these really shitty mobile games. It's like ah, Gameloft is making Disney Park adventures where you can use real world money to buy in-game currency to build a Ferris wheel and help Mickey Mouse find his way back to the kingdom of lost forgotten islands or some bullshit like that. It sucks. And then conversely, like I just mentioned, you got the other side of the spectrum, which is like EA is investing $2.7 trillion into some fucking shitty ass dice battlefield game that sucks. It's just as cumbersome and difficult to play as any battlefield you played before on console. The controls are ass, uh, but the visuals are mind-blowing, and the story kind of sucks, and the game's really not all that great, but it costs a lot of fucking money to make, and we're going to heavily uh, talk about it at E3, and there's going to be a huge marketing lead-up, and the whole games industry is going to care about it, and we're going to buy it and sell millions and millions of copies, and pfft. it's like, God, that's so lame. It's like you're going to have Star Wars, the thing that every fucking thing that knows how to work on computers and knows how to create art with computers. It's like, I love Star Wars. And then you get a multi-billion dollar Star Wars game. Or you get some shitty cash grabby iPhone game with like Mickey Mouse and Belle from Beauty and the Beast. And they're just like, yeah, buy, buy cryptocurrency to save the kingdom of lost memories. It's like, fuck this, dude. That sucks. But this is different. This is something I haven't even considered. It's a small indie developer being like, uh, hey, Disney, I see you hate Tron and you only care about Star Wars. Um, would, you, would you mind letting me make a really awesome game, unique indie game with a lot of passion and heart behind it set in this beautiful sci-fi universe you created and subsequently abandoned? And that is the birth of 
of Tron identity. You know, and obviously I'm a little bit biased because I, I'm, I'm so fatigued from Disney being like, wait, we own Star Wars? Star Wars, 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 Star Wars. And then all, at the same time being a huge Tron fan and watching Disney be like, what the fuck is Tron? That doesn't make billions of dollars at the box office. We don't care about Tron. So to see that this new era of Disney gaming where it's like, we'll just find partners to work with and license out our IPs. It's so refreshing and cool to be like, wow, why didn't I think of that? They're like smaller developers, you know, maybe someone out there in this godforsaken world who doesn't want to just make yet another Jedi Star Wars game can be like, hey, Disney, I'll I'll make a Tron game since since you hate that franchise and you don't want to use it, you know? You'll make money off it because I got to license it from you, but I'll make the game. I'm glad to tell a story in that universe. And what's his name? Mike Bithel? What's 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 the guy's first name? I don't know. But, dude, this guy, like, I've been following him ever since this game was announced. I've been following him closely because all of his updates on the game. This guy is like, it's not like, oh, I had the opportunity to work on Tron. I, cool. I said yes because of money. This is like a diehard Tron fan who's like, it's a passion and a privilege of mine to get to make a game set in the Tron universe. And keep in mind, Bithel Games is a tiny-ass developer. I, if I'm not mistaken, Thomas was alone, but was made by, like, a team of, like, one to three people or something. It was a tiny, tiny development team. Uh, this guy is basically a one-man studio, and he made that John Wick game. He's made a couple other games, you know, s small, small indie games. So for him to be doing this Tron visual novel, I mean, I'm sure you had to staff up a little bit for something like this. But fuck, man, like, this is, this is awesome. I think this is so cool. I would way rather have uh, an indie-developed, passion-driven Tron visual novel on my Xbox than be like, it's Tron Endless Runner for iPhone. Oops, you fell down a cliff. Make sure you buy 17 crypto bit bucks so you can re-res yourself and try again. Oops, you gotta let your energy pods refuel. You can't play the game for three hours or you can give us 17 uh, Robux and, and jump back in the action. It's like, fuck that, dude. Like, that, that would suck. But this is, this opens a whole new dimension, dude. Like, this is so cool. So I'm very, obviously, this is a, a little bit of an indulgent story for me because I know for most people, it's like, oh, they're making a visual novel, Tron game. That's cool. Move on with the news. But for me, I'm like, no, 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 no. As a big Disney fan, as a big Tron fan, like, this is a turning point in Disney game development. And who knows? I mean, this game isn't going to light the world on fire. Visual novels are an absurdly niche genre of gaming. Tron is an absurdly niche sci-fi property that people really mostly don't give a shit about. But... From where I'm standing, I'm like, yeah, more of this, man. Maybe this does, you know, well by visual novel indie game standards sales-wise. And maybe if it gets decent reviews, Disney will be like, huh, we should work with more indie teams with our properties. And I will say, now this isn't Xbox, but they're working with Dalala, the 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 British, I think, developer that made that um, Battletoads sequel a few years ago, a year or two ago. And they're working with them to make this... 2D art, artsy, like hand drawn looking Mickey Mouse platformer. It looks like kind of like Rayman Legends um, game for uh, for Nintendo Switch. And again, it's more like oh, kind of small developer licensing one of your cool IPs, making a unique game. I love this. Like if this is a direction we're headed in, fucking more of this, please. So yeah, I'm very much looking forward to Tron like Tron Identity. Uh, <laughs> I'm not looking forward to Tron Legacy because I watched it a million times. But I, I will watch it a million more times because I love that movie. But yeah, dude, this is this is great news. Other than that, um, it was a lot of really shitty like little mobile games and stuff like that. But uh, as we said, you know, the big development budget money for Disney related gaming is all going to go to Marvel and Star Wars. So 
And I don't mean to be down because this next one I think is actually cool. But the other big announcement, or really the big announcement of this event, was uh, Amy Hennig, her new Captain America game. So this game actually looks really cool, I'll, I'll actually admit. So VGC reports, Uncharted 1, 2, and 3's director, Amy Hennig's company, Skydance New Media, has officially availed, uh, unveiled its Marvel game, which stars both Captain America and Black Panther. Officially revealed during a Disney game showcase on Friday, a teaser trailer for the title, which does not yet have an official name or release date or release window, featured both Marvel heroes in World War II setting. According to Skydance, this narrative-driven ensemble adventure will have players controlling an ensemble of four characters, young Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Captain America, Azuri, T'Challa's grandfather, and World War II-era Black Panther, Gabriel Jones, a U.S. soldier and member of Howling Commandos, don't know who that is, and... Nanali, leader of the fledging Wakanda spy network. Cool. Uh, players can look forward to the intuitive controls and exhilarating sec. Ooh, intuitive controls. What an exciting selling point. And exhilarating second-to-second -second gameplay that captures the action and excitement of Marvel, inspired by landmark comics, TV, and film, as they navigate this new globe-trotting adventure, the studio said. Henning spoke in a statement saying, we're so grateful for the enthusiasm and support we've received from fans, and we're thrilled to fully unveil the first glimpse at this game during the, this year's D23 Expo. Marvel has been incredibly part, uh, has been an incredible partner throughout the creative process, and we hope to develop an original story and build an exciting new team of characters. We hope fans are intrigued by the sneak peek, and we're excited to share more down the road. The game from Skydance New... This is the first title from Skydance New Media, a studio formed in 2019 by a Hollywood production company, Skydance. They have made some VR projects, but this is their first, like, legit game. Announced last October, this title is being billed as a narrative-driven blockbuster action-adventure game featuring a completely original story and take on the Marvel Universe. I gotta be honest, I think this game looks fucking cool. I know, I know I was just, like, shitting on, like, how the only time we get big-budget, AAA-looking Disney-related games is when it's, like, Star Wars or Marvel. But uh, I like Marvel a lot, so it's easier for me to be less jaded than Star Wars. And also, uh, I, I feel like Marvel fatigue is just not a thing as much because Marvel is supposed to be continuous, never-ending, ridiculous, new ideas all the time. I feel like Star Wars is supposed to be respected and left to breathe sometimes, but it's not. But uh, uh, this game is creative, it is exciting, and it's interesting as hell. Obviously, I don't know the other two characters, but a World War II era Black Panther with Captain America doing like some kind of like spy espionage, assumedly kind of narrative-driven third-person action game. This game sounds fucking cool. Like, I, I am down for this. Obviously, we don't have any gameplay. We don't know much about it from a gameplay perspective. But this synopsis is incredibly unique, incredibly fun, and Amy Hennig has not been able to make like a true return to the games industry since Uncharted 3. So I'm just really excited to see what she comes up with. So obviously we don't really know much about this game otherwise. And, you know, I, I don't know. I don't I don't know much to say other than I, I'm excited for this game. Count me in for this. I want to I want to give this game a go whenever whenever it does come out. Um, also, just interesting to note is Skydance New Media and how Skydance continues to work with Disney and ex Disney people. Interested to see what's going to happen there. I feel like Disney's probably just going to fucking buy them at some point. Anyway, next up, they showed another trailer for Marvel's Midnight Suns and announced something weird. Uh, this is the Firaxis-developed um, XCOM-style Marvel game. Now, you might remember this game was delayed until uh, March of next year, and then this new trailer just undelayed it, and now they are releasing it on December 2nd this year on Xbox and PC. So the game is now undelayed and will come out this year after all. Uh, and there's a new trailer out, so that's interesting. Uh, the Xbox One version, last-gen version, is coming later, but the Series X version will be out this year. And that's it, guys. There's an Xbox Indie Showcase, but the only thing from it that I really feel like we got to mention is going to be in the 
important enough news. But other than that, that's, I mean, that's it for the news. It's a lot of announcements, a lot of events, guys. We're running at two and a half hours, basically, so let's uh, let's try to pick it up and get through the rest of the show. That's it for all the news. Now we move over to the important enough news. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions. The first one is that Microsoft have announced plans to update the Xbox dashboard on consoles ahead of the launch of the updated homepage next year. The platform holders kicked off a series of user tests for a random subset of inside alpha skip ahead users. So you may have seen the new dashboard. It looks like a tightened up, slightly cleaned up version of what we already have. Looks pretty decent, I think. I don't really like clean, modern aesthetic. I like a little bit of noisy character behind things, but eh, whatever. It looks decent for what it is. Next on VGC reports, Microsoft have announced a fresh batch of titles that are headed to Game Pass. During the indie showcase that took place the day I'm recording this podcast, it was confirmed that Valheim will hit PC Game Pass on September 29th. Previously confirmed, Valheim will be coming to Xbox Game Pass for consoles in the spring of 2023. On Wednesday, Skybound announced plans to bring four titles to Microsoft's subscription service, including Big Con. Big Con Rainbow Billy Walking Dead will arrive the following year followed by Homestead Arcana. All right, and next up, Microsoft have announced that Discord voice chat is now available for everyone on Xbox consoles. The feature, which was made available for selected Xbox users in July, enables users to chat with anyone in Discord via voice chat channels or group calls uh, directly from an Xbox One or Series console. The update lets Xbox or Discord users connect across Xbox Mobile and PC. Next up, VGC reports South Korean action game Gungrave Gore is officially coming to Xbox Game Pass on day one. This game also looks fucking cool. Bobby Jung-woo Park, business development manager at Gungman Soul-based developer studio Iggy Mob, confirmed the news via Xbox Wire Post, said that they were excited about the announcement for Series X and for Game Pass. The game is steady to come out on November 22nd. Gungrave Gore is a sequel to Gungrave and Gungrave Overdose, which were released on PS2 in 2002 and 2004, respectively. The third-person action series follows the undead anti-hero gunslinger called Beyond the Grave. In Gungrave Gore, Grave has to rid the world of drug seed and defeat the Raven clan, its suppliers. Looks pretty cool. Next up, Microsoft have reportedly started refunding players who pre-ordered Stalker 2 Heart of Chernobyl because the game's release window is now so uncertain. According to Xbox, or XGP, Xbox has reimbursed pre-order customers and explaining that the decision to do so is because the game's release has been postponed to an unconfirmed date in the future. The company also appears to have removed the ability for new pre-orders for Stalker 2 to be placed on the Microsoft Store. Now, I understand why they're doing this with everything going on. It's uncertain. But also, the the reasoning sounds hypocritical. When it's like, dude, I can, I can pre-order games that aren't coming out for like a year. Actually, that's not true. On Xbox, usually it has to be pre close out i don't know i take it back next up and lastly vgc reports ea has announced a new partnership with koei tecmo and its studio omega force to publish an original ip the team behind the dynasty warrior series will develop the new next great hunting game based on fantasy feudal japan ea said on monday more details will be released later this month the publisher said probably at tokyo game show so stay tuned for that and that's gonna do it for all of our news this week guys wow it's been a lot a lot more than I actually thought it'd be. So let's take a breather for a second. Tried to move through that fast, but we're still going to hit two and a half hours. Let's move over to the comments and round out the week with the comments, guys. We've got a couple of those. You know how it works. You go over to youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast. Click on the latest episode to leave your comment. Please subscribe to the podcast while you're there. You can leave a nice comment or a mean comment. You can say, Jesse, stop pussyfooting around the Bonnie Ross news. Tell us what you really think. We can say, Jesse, poo poo pee pee doo doo dee dee. Wendy's fries are good for these thighs. And I'll be like, cool comments. But no one said any of that stuff. In fact, our first comment this week comes from Mr. Mojo, who says, 
tried soup dumplings for the first time, and let me tell you, those bad boys are fan freaking tastic. I know how I've never tried that. I don't know how I've never tried them before. So I looked into homemade dumplings, and while I think I could pull something off, I'm probably going to have to go somewhere and get legit soup dumplings, unfortunately. I've been console gaming for a while, personally, but nothing has really been calling to me. But the new Cyberpunk patch just came out, and probably getting back into that, hopefully. I did buy Midnight Fight Express to play on Steam Deck. I figured it would be more fun to hand uh, to play handheld, and so far it's pretty good. A little game. W- uh, good little waste of time. I'd give it a 7.5 out of 10. P.S. Never forget Y, A, left, up, B, down, right, Y, right, left, then Xbox button for controller party mode. Let's keep the party going, Xboners. That's a fun little reference. I like that. That's that's cute. I like that a lot. Uh, yeah, dude, I've never heard of uh, Midnight Fry Express. Glad to hear. I'm going to have to look into that. I feel like I've, it, the name sounds kind of familiar. I need to look into that and see what that is. But glad you're enjoying it. Glad you're having a good time. Dude, I, I read this comment mostly because I want to say... Shout out to soup dumplings. Soup dumplings are a god tier food, and it's an underappreciated food. I feel like, especially when we start talking about like Asian cuisine, like when it comes to like Korean, Chinese, Japanese foods that are becoming popularized, especially here in the West, where it's like, you know, it's like bubble tea's gotten really popular and trendy. Pho and ramen are really popular and trendy these days. I, I feel like soup dumplings are just kind of swept under the rug all the time. I'm so glad you brought this up, Mojo, because soup dumplings are insanely delicious. And I keep having constant cravings for soup dumplings, but there's like really nowhere around where I live by, you know, the theme parks and the tourist corridor here in Orlando where I can get good soup dumplings. Now, there are a couple places in proper downtown Orlando where there's apparently like phenomenal soup dumplings. I've got a couple places saved in my Google list that I need to check out, uh, but I've still not done so. And you're and you're really putting the pressure on me here with this comment. I'm like, you know what, dude, this weekend... Oh, I might need to get some soup dumplings because you're right. You, dude. I, I, I mean, maybe, I, maybe for you, I don't know, but I can't make these things at home. And I've tried the frozen ones that you get at, like the Asian supermarkets, and they're just, they're just okay. Like going to a good restaurant, a good Chinese restaurant, and getting some legitimate soup dumplings. Oh my god, dude! You get like the fucking, you like rip open like the pockets of the dumpling a little bit, and you stick it in, the, just drench it in that fucking chili oil or the broth if you got the one in, like the broth, and then you bite into that. And it's like a gushy, delicious, meaty, soupy, rich, flavorful spicy god delicious oh my god dude soup dumplings are the shit mojo thank you for making me hungry uh let's talk about studio assistance temple knight writes in says so your point last week about studios helping one another imagine if you had infinity ward Treyarch, and sledgehammer all available to assist 343 with content live service management etc i think activision and bethesda might be able to help microsoft with the studio management i'm sure there are a lot that could be there's a lot that could be learned from publishing and studio management standpoint but in both ways i'm very curious to see how this plays out in the long run yeah, Temple Knight, I, I kind of actually had to walk back what I said last week because I feel like I was being a little unfair. I think Xbox has been kind of outspoken about how that is, you know, Matt Booty in particular has talked about how he he's like that is something that they're aware of and they want to focus on is how these different brands and developers and publishing arms can kind of cross-pollinate and learn and help teach with one another. So I think we are going to see a lot of this in the coming years. Um, and it is, it's exciting and interesting to see how that goes. I, I hope we get to see a lot of behind the scenes sneak peeks at like what, what all that looks like. But yeah, yeah I, I, I agree. There's a lot that can be learned. There's a lot of positivity, I think, from diving deeper into this. And if you're going to be someone like Microsoft who just owns like 30 plus studios, you'd be stupid really not to do stuff like this. So I, I agree. It is going to be quite interesting. Dude, I, 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 I know. I think we all secretly want it. We want the Call of Duty developers, once they're owned by Xbox, to make a sp- make a make a Halo spinoff game or assist three four three in something. Just put a little bit of that 
that that shit on there. I I, I know. We all kind of want it. Sorry about Sony's Call of Duty competitor initiative. Cronky writes in and says, okay, so Sony is 100% trying to make their own Call of Duty game, right? Uh, so no universe where they aren't. So who do you think they're going to go put out on it? My money is Bungie. I mean, they're going to make a, a twitchy online-focused FPS, kind of like X Defiant. With all due respect, Cronky, I, I think you're right about them trying to attack and that Call of Duty market and try to make a Call of Duty S game. I think they're going to try to make multiple games like Call of Duty from multiple developers to try and, you know, put a bunch of efforts out there and see what sticks. But I don't think for a second Bungie is one of them. I think Sony is fully committed on Bungie. You operate independently. You're not a PlayStation game studio. You are just a separate gaming entity that we own. Work on Destiny. Work on your new game. Work on whatever you're doing. We want your expertise and your knowledge on running games as a service type games and on these kinds of things because that knowledge is going to be so influential to how our our multiplayer teams can work on their projects. But I don't think they're ever going to task Bungie with, oh, make a Halo clone. Oh, you try to make something like that. I think Deviation Games, which we talked about earlier in the in the, in the episode, where where Jason Blundell from Treyarch used to work and then just left, I, I think that is definitely one of the teams that they're trying to use to um, compete with Call of Duty for sure, without a doubt. So I think you're totally right uh, that they that they are in the process of trying to do that. I just don't think Bungie is one of them. I think for sure, uh, Defiant Games is one of them. Yeah, but I don't know, man. There's so many potential ones. Sure as hell isn't Gorilla anymore. <laughs> Let's talk about Halo Issues and Solutions. An original rant by one Mr. Count Skyla. So strap in, guys. This is a big one. Count Skyla writes in and says, Long incoherent Halo rant alert. I don't have any outlets. So Je sorry, Jesse. I'm 100% on board with all your Halo Infinite theories. I think you nailed it. The announcement was very painful. And he's talking about the delays of all the content. The community needs to understand that there's no amount of traditional seasonal content that will bring back a notable increase in, pop in player population or solve the game's biggest issues. They need multiple things to come together at once to get a lot of players to come back and take another look. Ideally, the shortcomings have been addressed. When that happens, this is a decision to buy more time, I think, is, is the right one. I can see a world this time next year where the Forge and Custom Browser are, are in a great place. Seasons are finally at normal length, but they're, they're content rich. A proper progression system has been released. Networking issues have been ironed out. The, challenging, the challenge system isn't annoying anymore, and customization doesn't feel predatory. At this point, Halo diehards would be satisfied, but it still doesn't bring back those who are gone. It's okay, though. It's time for Xbox Summer Showcase, and Halo shows up with a teaser trailer for the next big Battle Royale mode, and maybe a campaign expansion teaser or a PvE mode, or all of a sudden everyone has a couple of big reasons that they should come back and try it out. Returning players would find out that it's a rich Forge scene, new weapons and maps along with BR and DLC, uh, and... That they have an experience, and it really could feel like a relaunch. If they can actually, and and it really could feel like a sorry. If they can actually address that much stuff in one year, I think they could end up truly ex with a truly exceptional Halo game. Now they could especially fail and come up short or delay longer. I'm definitely not counting on that. I'm not I'm not counting that option out. Even if they fail, though, all the development time fixing core issues could be applied to the foundation of the next Halo game. If they just keep trying with seasons just to keep the community happy this game will definitely die a long slow painful death my eternal optimism is trying to make this a positive one uh but i can go play some other games and fiddle with forge if it means that they get the time they need if they fail so what that wasn't going to be 
there wasn't going to be any other Halo games ready to fill this in anyway, so I'm glad they're going to at least try. I understand why the community is mad and angry. This should be have never happened, but it did happen. You can't go back and change that, so this is what I think they need to do to overcome. Um, Count Skyla, I, I don't have anything to add to this because, yeah, you agree with my points. You, elaborate, you elaborated on them perfectly. I think this is wonderfully said. It's exactly that. You're not going to win back an audience by being like, we have season three with another battle pass and one new map and we're, we're maybe putting another weapon in the game maybe someday later like that that's not gonna win people back what's gonna win people back is like yo we got a battle royale here's the next campaign look how much fun people are having look at how this game looks nothing like what it looked like when it first launched i just don't have the confidence that they're going to successfully get there is the problem i think that's what they're going for and i think you're right that's what they need to do i just don't have the confidence that they can pull it off is the problem and uh, I mean, we'll have to see again. These managerial shakeups, these leadership shakeups, Bonnie Ross leaving all this stuff, these things are not going to be felt uh, immediately. You know, it's going to take a long time to feel these effects. And um, I just don't have a lot of confidence that the current 343 can really pull this all together. Although I really hope they do. I hope against the odds they really do. Well, let's end the show with our two miscellaneous slash uh, silly boy comments. Uh, we got one from Way of the Loud who says, Yo, 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 how's it going, Mr. DeRosa? Hope you, Cronky, and the family are doing well. Best wishes to the podcast listeners as well. Jesse, I had to tell you that I bought a blue PlayStation 5 controller to play on my Switch and my PC. I have so much in common. We have so much in common. It's like we are twins. Watch PewDiePie lookalikes inbound. Lol, nah, kidding, man. I don't feel the PlayStation should complain about Call of Duty. They have analysts on both PlayStation and Microsoft that are aware of that the soft is focused on making money and having their games everywhere. That's right. I called Microsoft the soft. Furthermore, I think both companies know the problems that the soft has had issues with antitrust regs, and I know that they don't want to be put in that position again. Well, anyways, take care, everyone, and have a great week, guys. Fuck corporations, every last one of them. Amen, way of the loud. Amen, indeed. Uh, to that, I just want to say one thing. The only time I was ever recognized as being someone in the games industry was this one year I went to Momocon, which is this anime video game convention in Atlanta, and I had multiple people think, genuinely think, that I was cosplaying as PewDiePie just because of my beard and my hair. I wasn't. I just came there as myself. But I had people who were like, oh my god, is that PewDiePie? You look like you look like PewDiePie. I was like, cool, this is the closest I'm ever going to be to, mat- to being someone who works, matters, or has any influence in this industry. And it's being mistaken for PewDiePie. <laughs> so thanks for bringing up all my pain, all my hurt, way of the Lao. I hope you're happy. And our last comment this week comes from Headhunting Halo, who says, let's figure out why IGN gave Pinocchio a five. Reasons being, they started... <laughs> They stated was left old Pinocchio fans scratching their heads. Uh, what was it? What was what that was a beautiful movie. And as a fan of my favorite Disney classic, I called everything. So how this was confusing movie. If you look at previous live actions, how do they score better than Beauty and the Beast, Lion King? Those movies were way worse than this. This was nothing like the classics. A good reason I moved away from IGN. As for Bonnie Ross, the old me would have been sad about this. But the way we're going with Infinite just makes me not care anymore. I get more and more furious with 343 and their dumb decisions. Don't get me wrong. Wrong cam- uh, campaign was great. Uh, but holy hell, Halo is known for multiplayer. Breaks my heart. Not really. I'm way more excited for Assassin's Creed Codename Red than Mirage. Always loved Japan feel in games. There's my rant. Have a great week. Jess. 
Well, headhunting Halo. Thanks for writing in. And I do gotta say, real quick, I, I didn't I didn't watch the new live action Pinocchio on Disney Plus. First of all, shame on you, headhunting Halo. I made it very clear. I made it abundantly clear. If you're gonna watch all the new content on Disney Plus, watch Cars on the Road because we're all supposed to be Cars fans, okay? But no, I, I I don't like the Disney live action remakes. I don't support them. I just think it is creatively vapid that Disney is out here just like, we're not going to make new live action movies. We're not going to make a sequel to Tron. We're not going to make something new and creative or, or whatever. We're just going to milk the fuck out of old animated movies that are stunning, beautiful, classic movies. And we're going to just make shameless cash grab live action remakes that have no visual flair, have no artistic creativity or integrity, and have nothing to add to it. And, and that's, and dude, that's, and, and I'm not the first one to make this argument, but it, it is the argument, really, at the end of the day. It's like, let's say you watch Beauty and the Beast live action or Lion King live action or Little Mermaid live action, whatever. Let's say you go to the movies, you watch, you're like, I don't know what people are so up in arms about. Was it the best movie ever? No. But was it a good time? Yeah. Sure, that's fine. Like, good for you. Enjoy your time. Spend your money and your time the way you wish. Entertainment is entertainment. Who cares? But you cannot tell me that there's any artistic contribution from these live-action movies that matters or stands out or trumps anything done in the animated originals that these live-action movies are based off of. I, I, I'm with you, man. Pinocchio is actually, I, I'm not even kidding. Of it's, Pinocchio is not my favorite Disney animated movie of all time, but it is my favorite classic Walt era uh, Disney movie. I think Pinocchio is a beautiful movie. The animation in that movie, it, it's weird because I'm not I'm not an animation nut. I, I love animated movies. and I'm very entertained and drawn to them, and it's, it's a genre I certainly really admire, although I really don't think animation is a, a genre so much as a medium. Anyway, but the thing is, like, there's something about Pinocchio in particular where, like, I, I, I'm just, like, brought... I don't know what it is about the original Pinocchio movie. What, what, what year was that? That was 1939, right? I don't know why this matters. 1939, 1937. I think it was 1939. Anyway, there's something about that movie where I just find the art so beautiful. Like, it's... um. Watching, like, the original Pinocchio movie for me, for some reason, like, just elicits, like, a deep emotional response in me. Not even for the music or the or the, um, or the story or the characters. It's just something about just watching that movie run in action. I just, I find it, like, unbelievably stunning. And it's just, it's a work of art. And, and listen, listen, man, this is always going to be an uphill battle. I understand as a modern 21st century American. This is just a battle I'm going to have to fight until the day I die. It just is what it is. Animated movies are a beautiful form of art. Animated movies are not for kids. There are lowbrow animated movies that are for kids, like fucking poopy butt butt, like fucking Kung Fu Panda Shrek shit, where it's like, oh, you made a poopy out of your bum bum. Yeah, I get it. Those are kids' movies. But like, I, I'm not going to sit around and, and, and lie and be like, oh yeah, Pinocchio's a baby's movie. Oh, Disney movies are for babies. It's like, no. Just because they are all ages appropriate and they are ideal for families and for children does not make them kids' movies. And I, I watch a movie like Pinocchio, I'm like, this is a beautiful piece of art. And I don't know, I, I'm, st I'm still just emotionally moved by that movie. I don't even know why. I fucking own this movie on Blu-ray when they did the Walt Disney remaster a few years ago. Just because I'm like, I just want to be able to have this on the background and just see that art. I don't want to, I don't care about sitting there and watching the movie moment to moment. I just want to have it on in the background as if it's like a painting on my wall that I can admire. And that's a long way of saying like, dude, when you see these live action remakes, 
What the fuck do you get out of them? Again, it might be entertaining. It might be like, oh, it was an hour and 40 minutes well spent. Whatever. I enjoyed it. But like, there is nothing they do with cinematography, with CGI, with art direction, with costuming, with anything in these movies. They look dark and drab and just paint by numbers and generic. They're soulless. They're absolutely soulless. And so I just, I, I man, I like, I, I'm not like out here with a fucking pitchfork, like down with Disney live action remakes need to stop. No, like at the end of the day, I just look at him like, oh, they're making another live action movie. Cool. That's just one less movie I have to catch up on. I'm like, whatever. I'm not bothered by it. They're going to continue to do it. They make lots of money off these. That's fine. I'm sure the Little Mermaid movie will be no better or no worse than any of the other live action movies they've done. It will just be yet another one. And I personally will not care. I'm not going to be angry about it and fight the world on it. I'm not going to go to Twitter and try to battle people on it. It's just, um, man, as a Disney fan, as an animation fan, I, I don't care. <laughs> but that being said, dude, cars on the road, some good shit, some very good shit. But yeah, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's a disappointing reality, I guess. Um, well, wow. That's a little bit of a sour note to end on. Well, Hey, you are, you are excited for, uh, Assassin's Creed Project Red, myself included. Like I said, first Assassin's Creed might play so we can bond over that. We can be positive and optimistic over that and headhunting Halo. Thank you for writing in and thank you all for writing in. Thank you all for listening. That is going to do it for this week's episode of Xbox on. Now I do have an impound. I do have an important announcement to make that I really meant to put at the top of the show and totally forgot. So I'm putting it here, but it is what it is. I'm going to be out of town next week. There will be no regular episode of Xbox on. However, there will be a new episode of Xbox on. I never miss a week. I told you, unless I'm dead, I'm not skipping the podcast. So we are going to have a new episode next Thursday. Same as always. The problem, uh, not the problem. The thing is, it just won't be a typical news related podcast because I won't be here to do the news. So I actually already have the episode pre-recorded. It was a lot of fun. I'm not going to tell you what it is because it's really exciting. Um, I'm really happy with how it turned on. I, it turned on. I'm really happy with how it turned out, and I'm excited for you guys to be able to hear it. But yeah, so next week there will be an Xbox on episode Thursday morning, as always. It's just not going to be episode 173. Here's the news for the week. It's going to be episode 73 special episode. Um, it's going to be something a little more evergreen, something a little different. But I hope you guys enjoy it. I'm looking forward to getting some feedback on it. But yeah, so just know next week that's going to be the case. And then the following Thursday, we'll be right back where we always are. We'll just pick up on the news. Anything important we miss from next week, we'll cover as well as the any upcoming news. So we'll uh, we'll pick back up. But I hope you guys understand. And I hope you hope you enjoy the new, the new show next week. Uh, but that's going to do it for this week. Guys, take care. Have fun. Play video games. Be safe. Be well. Until next week, power your dreams.